my family just decided let's just buy massive bulk amounts of AA batteries so we never have to never have to like swap things around. Yes, that's a brutal and elegant mm. but mainly brutal solution. I've got so many AA batteries. What do you do with them? Do you give them names? Do they have, are they like members of your household? Personally, I, I leave them in a drawer. What the other people in my house do, uh, I choose not to take part in. That sounds like you're sacrificing them. Well, I mean, we are. Yeah. Right? Well, yes. Yeah. So like, what they do is it, every time a, like, a, a remote or a keyboard run, runs out of battery... They get all all of the new batteries, all 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 of the clean batteries, ones yeah. that haven't been dirtied yet by being forced to do our, our work. Yeah, we take all the clean batteries and we make make a circle on the floor about like six meters by six meters. Yeah, of course, by six meters. <laughs> and then you make uh, uh, you make a pentagram in the middle of the rest of the batteries. Okay, and then uh, you put you put the remote right in the center <laughs> of a pentagram. Yeah, and then you smash it, and then you go out and buy a new remote. And put some batteries in it. Oh, and all like the batteries the remote came with, and all yeah. the batteries that have been used as part of this. Writ. See, I feel oh, we we just throw them in the bin. Oh, okay. they're, they're done now. I feel we, we have to go buy a thousand more batteries. <laughs> <laughs> I feel very. I feel like I'm in hereditary right now because I knew something mysterious was going on, <laughs> but now that I found out like the specific supernatural details of it, it's actually almost less interesting. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, uh, that, that's. So you, you you were watching The Lighthouse on a phone on a train? I was watching it on an iPad on a train. Oh, uh, iPad's slightly better, I guess. Um, I, the, the time I finished it, I saw it in a in a cinema. Yeah, good. You should see that. Yeah. Um, I love the cinema experience, um, but I think Lighthouse could be any, you could, anything that constrains them. Like, it feels like we should be watching it on CRTs, right? <laughs> or there'd be, they're, like, the DV, you know how they release, like, Mad Max in, uh, yeah, in uh, black and white? Yeah. They're going to release a silent version of the lighthouse. Oh, right? I'm going to say they're going to release the lighthouse in color. <laughs> no, this silent version of the lighthouse with a live pianist but that then, comes then to you. Your you won't be able to hear the farting then. Uh, I, what is funnier than farting? An intertitle that says gastrointestinal troubles or like parp. So you're listening to Shite and Sound. Um, it's a. Well, it's kind of a podcast. It's a holistic podcast that I like to see as being kind of about everything. Yeah. About the whole of our lives, about me. Um, my name's Ether Dean. My name's Finn Nicholas. Um, and we look at kind of everything. We consider everything complexly through the lens of uh, a good film from the BFI Sight and Sound Top 100 list and a bad film that is uh, not on that list. Or a trash film, like a low, high art and low art is yeah. the juxtaposition we're so, aiming Sometimes for. we accidentally watch good movies. Um, and then sometimes that, it's not an accident. Yeah. Um, or sometimes one of us likes a movie more than the other. But anyway. Um, <laughs> Which I think so we're going to get into a bit later. That's, that's my introduction. What's your introduction? Well. <laughs> What's your fucking introduction, buddy? Well, you better buckle your seatbelt, Yufa, because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to introduce this fucking podcast. Okay, he is. I need the listeners to know he's still reading this. He just adjusted his glasses <laughs> so jauntily it could have been sincere. It was horrifying. <laughs> there, there is nothing that Yufa Dean hates more than sincerity. No. It I, is. It is his least favorite thing. I, every, every time someone like expresses a proper emotion, he just like goes, "Ugh, cringe." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, my whole life is a reaction channel. But but like one, one of those like really like reactionary reaction channels. Oh yeah yeah yeah. yeah. You're just like, oh, this this, this guy's kind of fun. He's he's a bit mean though. I mean like two years later, oh no, yeah. he actually hates all the people that he says he hates ironically. 
Hello and welcome to Shite and Sound, the podcast where two comedians watch one of the masterpieces of world cinema and then follow it up with a critically reviled film that is similar in some way. Maybe they share themes, plot, actors or director. We want to see if counterpointing these two films can bring out some new information or insights. On this episode, we're watching number 97 on the Sight and Sound list of The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, Michael Powell and Emmett Pressburger's masterful study of an English gentleman soldier aging into irrelevance. Our second film this week is John Hyam's Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning, a Scott Adkins starring director DVD action sleaze body horror freakout. But it sort of attempts to investigate the ways in which action films justify violence, or maybe it's just uh, maybe it's just Scott Adkins kicking dudes for two hours. Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, Douglas. No, I was about to no. say Douglas Sirk. No, I but just said not- yeah. Michael Powell and Emmett Pressburger. Powerlin Pressburger, my favorite solitary one man band filmmaker. They're, they're like two of the like major figures in like all of British cinema. Yeah. From like the early 40s until the early 50s, they released one movie every year. For, for over a decade, yeah. and ju- just like just like Raina Verna Fassbinder a few weeks ago, all those movies are like acclaimed masterpieces. Yeah. Well, and they're like they're like Merchant Ivory in that their name itself is almost a genre. Is al- is it's certainly a brand. They they, they they were known as the Archers. So pa- Pal and Pressburger worked like entirely out- outside of the film studio system at, at the time in England, and they had a filmmaking manifesto of oh. like of of I did not know about of this. yeah of, of like their their process and their like intentions yeah. for how to make films. And it's a five point manifesto. Yeah. Uh, point, point one is we owe allegiance to nobody except the financial interests which provide our money and to them the sole responsibility of ensuring them a profit, not a loss. Number two, every single foot in our films is our own responsibility and no one else's. We refuse to be guided or coerced by any influence but our own judgment. But they mean a foot of film, right? Yeah. Yep. yeah. Okay. Not, not, not Quentin Tarantino. No. no. Point three is when we start work on a new idea, we, we must be a year ahead, not only of our competitors, but also of the times. A real film from idea to universal release takes a year or more. Uh, point four, no artist believes in escapism, and we secretly believe that no audience does. We approved at any rate that they'll pay to see the truth for other reasons than her nakedness. Is it is it a secret if you put it in a manifesto, though? Uh, I think th- th- this was specifically a, a manifesto that they sent to to an actor. They were trying to like uh, get oh, to right. sign one of the movies. Like, like this is why you should be in our movie because we're good and we're not gonna we're, we're not we're not gonna be fucking sellouts. Basically, I mean, they have th- one of the rules is like we will be sellouts, but only to the people who've actually given us money. Yeah, yeah like the only thing we owe to people who give us money is we owe them a profit, and yeah. like we, we don't care about we don't care about like you know what what they think the movie should be. Oh, okay, okay. it's like. Do you know? Do you know the story about Mel Brooks when he was producing The Elephant Man? Uh, well, he took his name off it, yes, so they couldn't mess with but, it. But so there was a point where Mel Brooks was, and I think he was he was with David Lynch at the time. They screened an early version of The Elephant Man for other like producers and investors. And after the screening, they all started like giving notes. And Mel Brooks said, "No, that's that's not that's not what this is for. We are engaged with you on a business venture. You're providing us money. We are providing you a movie. We did not come here to solicit the advice of raging primitives." <laughs> And so point five on the manifesto is, at any time, and particularly at the present, the self-respect of all collaborators from star to prop man is sustained or diminished by the theme and purpose of the film they are working on. 
Ah, that's that's nice. Yeah, that's like like a really cool way to think about filmmaking. Like especially in the forties, there was not a lot of people thinking about films that way. Especially, well, at least not like think about that way out loud. Well, and like I just wish that a film I like, Colonel Blimp, right? Mm. I wish they had followed that a little more because it still feels it's a. Let's break it down uh, for the audience. Um, it's Colonel Blimp is not the name of a character that appears in the film. No, He's a, and it's, it's like it, it can be confusing until you like find out what the name refers to. Yeah. And so it, it turns out that Colonel Blimp is an English cartoon character uh, of the like 30s and 40s. And the, the, the whole idea of his character is he was this like old uh, soldier who had you know come from a previous era yeah. and ways he thought about war and what being a soldier means were all like very out of touch with the way that people in the 30s and 40s going into World War II were thinking about about what it means to be a soldier and how war works. And so the idea of this film, The Life and Death of Colonel Blimp, was to take this kind of stereotypical character to like look at his like whole story and see how he could have become this like out of touch old man and what that character means in like British society. It's interesting. I asked you during the film, is this an anti-war film? And you said there are some elements of it that are because it's still like I think the thing going into a discussion of this film is that I think this film ultimately thinks that war well and like soldiers and armies are needed and they just should be honorable right I think it, the main character of the film de- definitely believes that soldiering is you know good honest work all soldiers should comport themselves as gentlemen I think the film like especially by the end sees that as a sort of like outdated way of thinking about war and like in the face of of the Nazis Especially, which like this film was made in 1942. Yeah, yeah. The writer and producer of the film, Emmerich Pressburger, fled fled the Nazis yeah. uh, in the in the 30s. And so, I think this film is saying, like, in the face of fascism, you cannot afford passivity. Yeah. You, you cannot afford gentlemanliness. The, the way to defeat fascism is to is to be ready to fucking defeat fascism. That that is true, and I think. Like the, it's the eternal pass card that is World War Two and Nazis because yeah. I don't think anyone thinks we could talk Hitler down. You know, well, like I, I, there, there is one person that I've ever seen. Maybe like, mm-hmm. and that's Gandhi, and like Gandhi, like sincerely believed that Jewish people should have gone willingly to the gas chamber in order to, uh, like, show the Germans their, their own inhumanity. But the problem with that is that um, they're not, like, that's exactly what the Nazis want. The, na- yeah. well, the, na- the Nazis, like, yeah. feel like, okay, we'll let you kill us, and then you'll see how bad you are. They're like, no, that's, what, that's exactly what we wanted. Yeah, Thank no, you. That's... You made our job a lot easier. Yeah. I mean, not my ma- my main issue with Gandhi. Yeah. We're we both hardcore colonialists. <laughs> yeah. I just think, do you know what I miss? The Empire. (laughs) What happened to the good old days when old Queen Vicky was in charge? Yeah, old Vic Vark. Yeah, and we we all just went around wearing incredibly constrictive clothing that we were forced by societal convention to wear. And what if, you know, maybe half the population didn't have rights? And we, we just got to, you know, go to whichever country we wanted and do whatever we wanted there. That, like, yeah, obviously World War II. Nazis weren't going to be talked down. That is, if there is a quote-unquote good war, it's that. And I think once you look at more, I think, especially how it looks at the military in World War One, which is a scene it flashes back to, it also thinks World War One was kind of a good idea and was just a bit of fun when 10% of the population of the planet died. And that's the thing that I struggle with with this film. I mean, yeah, this is another one of those films yeah. where it's 
it's it's hard to like totally get a fix on on what the film's politics are. Yeah, because there are points where it is where it is clearly like satirizing the English military Absolutely. and and yeah. militaries in general. And it thinks they're all dumb. And there's sometimes when it seems like the film is really agreeing with the idea that, that war can be a noble pursuit. This would be like a movie, like, I, yeah, this is a movie that I like, but I think if if I could just get like a clear fix on it, this could be a movie that, that I love. Yeah, it does kind of somewhat resolutely fall short of being a favorite. I think also part of that is that it's very long. It, it is. This is the, the longest movie we've seen so far. Yeah, 240, a veritable length, the first half of The Irishman. This is like The Irishman in in a lot of ways I mean like it, it is a story of, of, of a man's entire life yeah. and, and seeing him go from the, the sort of like, like young kind of like up and, up and coming guy to yeah. someone who is old and you know their, their, their life has passed them by and they've, they've missed all their, their opportunities yeah. at, at love and family and they're now just this old uh, kind of sad guy who doesn't have a real place in the world uh, and they both have the murder of Jimmy Hoffa as a, a central turning point. Well, yeah, but, I mean, I, I, I felt like that went without saying. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, it's the one thing people don't know about Colonel Blimp. He also took out Jimmy Hoffa just at a different point. Jimmy Hoffa is uh, in a multiplicity situation. There are many Jimmy Hoffas. There's still many out there. They travel. If you go out into the wilds of America, you, you'll see herds of Hoffas. <laughs> Every time someone mentions multiplicity, I always think about the the, the Clive the Clive Owen movie Duplicity with was it is it Julia Roberts yeah it yeah where they're like, like they're like Rob, corporate they're like they're like competing corporate spies or something oh yeah of course I, I think that's a movie I saw like the last two minutes of yeah. on Sky Movies once I can see its poster in my mind <laughs> there's a building between them I believe oh probably um, who cares. Uh, is, not Clive Owen. Is, is the building representative of something? I mean, probably corporate things. Um, yeah, human no. resources synergy. <laughs> we we join um, a barracks of home guard soldiers. Right. Um, they're in a hilarious, uh, like hay bale filled barn well, for so some uh, reason. I think th- these are members of of the actual army. Oh, okay. And so they're going up against the home guard. Oh, later. right. Yeah. So we're, we're introduced to a, a bunch of members of of the army who are part of. They're still like based in England during World War Two. They're, they're in a barn, yep. surrounded by lovely hay, and we get a message telling them that there is going to be an army exercise uh, yep. later that night where they have to invade London and the Home Guard is going to try and defend London from them. They don't think this is a big deal. They think it's easy. The commanding officer is very loosely being straight razor shaved while he hears the news. He calls to his friends, who are also his underlings, uh, one of several scenes which just seems to exist to list made-up British army names. Yeah, which is like what every single English movie should be. Bud, Chimneycroft, Warren, Crushington, Donut Boy, Wester Chestington, The war starts at midnight. Afraid- uh, as, as is repeated over and over. They're not allowed to start their, their invasion of London yeah. until midnight. The leader of the sex is like, no, we, when we know it's going to happen, we're going to, they invoke Pearl Harbor, which 
then would have been very recent. Mm. It was, this is a 1943 film, and saying, no, no we're going to go now. They think that, that the exercise is bullshit, and yeah. like war doesn't start when it's when you say war starts. Yeah. War war can happen at any time. And so they, they decide, we're going to invade London right now, six hours early, and and prove to, to, to or like old out-of-touch people in charge yeah. like what a bunch of idiots they yeah. are. And they take off on motorbikes, and those motorbikes drive through a lot of ponds. Yep. And I was like, fuck, I hate small groups of water. And I was so delighted to see them just get pounded in the face yep. by some car leather. These scenes of motorbikes driving through ponds are the, the only action set pieces in the film? Um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. That's pretty much it. We later, the film does a very big job of deliberately avoiding that, a film about war in which we see no fighting, really. Yeah, it's, uh, I, I, I think... That, that that that's another one of those points where it's like is this like a like an anti or pro war thing? Because yeah. like I mean like what what one of one of the things about like depicting violence on film is that depicting violence on film almost always looks cool. As I think Francois Truffaut said, yeah. there is no such thing as an anti war film yeah. because all films about war make war look cool. Yeah, because and, it's a film and film is cool. Yeah, essentially. And so I think this movie definitely like takes great pains not to, like, glamorize the violence in any way. But also, that said, if I wanted to see a war film without fighting, I'd just watch Be Disappointed by Jarhead again. If I wanted to see a war film without any fighting, I'd just watch The War at Home again. If I wanted to watch a war film without any fighting, I'd just just watch watch Dad's Army. (laughs) I was going to go with Kramer versus Kramer, (laughs) um, in which two Michael Richardses... (laughs) And try to outrace us yeah, each other on an open mic night. Oh, that's a funny video. <laughs> what? What do you oh, mean? Oh, oh, okay. Oh, 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 okay. The, the, Defend yourself. Go. The, the video of Michael Richards just like getting so angry at an open mic night. For, for the first part of it, you're like, okay, he's like responding to a heckler. You know, he he's, he he does some like he he does some stuff that's like a bit like kind of borderline if, ethical sort of boundaries can be pushed when when you're like responding Dealing to a heckler. heckler yeah. yeah, I mean, he just starts screaming uh, the worst word you can possibly say, and you're like, oh no, you you fucked it up. It's, it's he starts so- yelling moist. Does oh, it? I hate <laughs> that word. Like, oh, I hate the word moist. It, 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 it's so it's so hard to screw up responding to a heckler. Yeah, because like you you can say whatever you want to them usually, and the audience is on your side. You have to go so far to to like get people to be like, no, okay, I'm not okay with that one. Yeah, I mean that would be a fun exercise. I always had a dream of. Uh, it, an open mic night having someone in the audience planted to heckle me and that the joke would be that um, they would just be being mediumly mean but then I would just immediately flip out at them and then burst into tears or something like that just like lose my mind um, uh, I know I didn't think that's amusing but for a long time I wanted to do that that's the kind of thing young comedians want to do eh? yep Yep, yep, young comedians have all sorts of bad ideas. Yeah, just I started writing jokes when I was like sixteen, yeah. and it was, I was uh, probably like fifteen. Of dead babies, yeah, lot, lot, lot of, lot of bad stuff. It was yeah. just like shock for, for not even comedy's sake. Yeah, and like I'm so, I'm so glad I, like I was eighteen before I started doing comedy because yeah. I had already gotten rid of so many bad ideas. Uh, but not that. Like you still love, you know, what's good about having sex with twenty-one-year-olds. That you love that joke. You're telling it just before. Yeah. I, I, every night I get on the stage like, hey, what's, what's like having sex with 21-year-olds? 
They're, they're about the same age as me, so it's not like there's no like weird like power imbalance. Yeah. By the way, I'm two years old. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a clone. No, I'm a unisol clone. But, no. but, but, but the joke I was doing is that it was just a person who's 21 years old. Oh, I don't, I don't, un- <laughs> I don't understand. I don't unpack that for me. So there are 21 year olds, and you're no, having... no. There's there's, yeah. there's one there's one person okay. who is the age 21. Oh, okay, and they're made up of 21 year old people, like in a suit. Um, <laughs> these just squirming. Is that what the joke is? That Unpa- un- explain it for me. Yeah, let, no. Let let's say that's the joke. Okay, great. <laughs> Man, what a what a funny guy. You should get back on stage. Yeah, that, that was a very low note. <laughs> very quickly, I uh, apologize for that. So, um, so they they bust in to uh, the home guards training facilities. Yeah, um, which which is uh, uh, which is inside a Turkish bar. Yeah, uh, and then uh, they go and they find this guy whose name is like a Sugarman Candy Cane. <laughs> you know, yeah, his name is Butterscotch Caramel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, his, he is British. His his, his name is uh, his his name is Major General. Uh, Clive Wynn Candy. That's right. Now, w- Wynn and Candy are two separate words. They are hyphenated, yeah. and it's spelled W Y N N E. It's not just he's a guy who, who like got got some chocolate as a prize, yeah, and decided to name himself after it. Um, but he's all like, "You can't do this," and they get into a fist fight. In yeah, the well, it, it's like it's want to say like General Wynn Candy is, you know, he's this kind of. He's he's an old man. He's in his seventies. He's he's bald. He's got a giant, hilarious mustache. He's the most stressed man ever. Yeah. Throughout this scene, his neck is the most clenched I've ever. You know the yeah. scene in Scanners where the man's head explodes. Yeah. He looks like the frame before that man's head explodes. Well, in, in, in some ways, it's sort of the opposite of, of the Irishman. Again, this is a young man playing an old man in this scene. In the scenes of the Irishman, where Robert De Niro is like stamping on a shopkeeper, you're like, yeah. oh, that's an old guy stamping on a shopkeeper. But in this, you're like, oh. That's a that's a young guy's neck. Yeah. There's, there's, a lot, there's a lot of tension in that supposedly seventy year old neck. Yeah, I didn't know how old he was while we were watching it, and so yeah. I bought it. It was otherwise. But anyway, there are fisticuffs. They start fighting in the pool, and he says, "You don't know what it was like. You don't know when I started out as a soldier. You, you don't know why I grew this mustache. You don't know why I got fat." And then he says, "Like you don't know what it was like forty years ago." Ago, ago, yeah, I mean, this is go. Yeah, so as we get into a fist fight, they're like knocked into a pool. They're like a tracking shot, like along the pool, and as as yeah, and you hear his voice just saying, "40 years ago, 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 ago." And it's supposed to sound like it's being uh, interrupted by the water, but it does just seem like he's in a you know a student filmmaking competition. Yeah, it's you do expect the screen to go wavy. But the camera like tracks to the other end of the pool, and you see a like forty years younger Clive Candy come out of a pool. He's instantly given a towel by a man in a fez. Then immediately start just singing opera for no reason, much to the consternation of the old men around him who are trying to sleep in this Turkish bar. And he hears from a friend who hears from a friend who hears from a friend that there is a a German soldier in Berlin who's going around saying that the British committed war crimes in South Africa during the Boer War. This is taking place in 1902. Back when they're all like, of course, it's all lies. But watching it in in 2020, you're like, okay, cool. So now let's spend an hour with someone trying to silence (laughs) protests about war crimes. What's what's that Sam Neill movie about about war crimes during the Boer War? Uh, Hunt for the Wilder People, (laughs) I believe. Jurassic Park. <laughs> uh, oh, event sorry, Horizon. This is a mouth of madness. <laughs> uh, the Omen 4. <laughs> Possession. 
Uh, all I can think about is Event Jurassic Horizon. Jurassic Park 3. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, inevitably Jurassic Park 6, right? Uh, yeah, I, I believe he's going to be in Jurassic World Dominion. They're really? Okay. Yeah. Isn't it incredible? It's almost impressive how after like Jurassic World, which was fine, there was still some hype. And then Fallen Kingdom was so bad that it's like Jurassic Park has dropped out of the zeitgeist to a degree that mm. it didn't even when we were in like the 15 year gap between films. Like that's an impressive achievement to make a film yeah, so I, I, boring. I, I think it still made like a lot of money, right? Yeah, but... Like it, it still made hundreds of millions of dollars. But I thought it didn't make enough hundreds of millions of dollars. I thought it was one of those ones where it's like, oh yeah, um, it made enough that it could buy Moldova. But uh, it's still a failure. No, I, I, I think it made like $700 million or something. Oh, that is like 699 too many. Yeah, that's a lot of, that's a lot of money. It, I think it deserves to earn a million dollars. Is just yeah, no. sure. I'm sure people. I'm sure some people worked hard on it. You but know? it's. I mean, like of my, of my favorite heavily re-edited blockbuster films. It's just not in there. It's no. not even in the playing it's, for it's it. No it's no solo. It's no Rogue One. It's no Justice League. Oh, Rogue One was just reshoots. Let's be nice yeah, about Rogue yeah. One. I like Rogue One. Yeah, I like Rogue One as well. Good. It's good. It's my. Yeah, it's my. Third favorite Star Wars movie. Uh, yeah. After, of course, uh, the two animated Ewoks <laughs> films. Yes. All right. So. Clone Wars. The Christmas special. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Uh, Christmas special again, because I... Yeah, ho- just, holiday special. I'm so sorry. Yeah. It's not Christmas, because yeah. it's a space holiday. Yeah. Life day. Life day. Yes, that's it. Yeah. Uh, uh, I've, already, I've already shot that movie where you're just like, just kind of off to the side, you, you see Carrie Fisher just doing cocaine. Because... <laughs> I mean, good on her. She was living her life to the max. Uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure she was deeply unhappy during that period. I mean, she she battled for a long time with mental illness. Yeah. I feel like choosing a point where she was not deeply unhappy will be the will be the struggle, right? Well, I'm, I'm sure she was happy when she was filming Sorority Row, uh, I the, mean, where, where she was playing the den mother in Sorority Row. Yeah. I mean, obviously, who wouldn't be? You know, I was up for that part, and I, I didn't get it. It was the saddest thing that ever happened to me. I really knew how Carrie Fisher felt yeah. at all times in that moment. <laughs> he goes to Berlin, and he finds this guy, and through his friend of a friend, who is uh, a woman played by Deborah Kerr? Yeah, Deborah Kerr. And we, we, we should also say that uh, that Clive Candy is played by Roger Livesey. Yeah, who is very good in this movie. Yeah, like him a lot. He he, he wasn't he 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 was like, he, he's one of those British actors who like he 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 starred in a lot of uh, of, of like Powell and Pressburger films. Yeah, but he he never like made a big like out, out, outside of their like stable. Yeah. Um, he was never in Doctor Who, so I don't care about him. No. That's the only way I know about British actors. Yeah, that, that, that's you know that's why. That's why I love Joan Sims, Ken Dodd, both Hale and Pace. <laughs> The third most interesting David Mitchell. So he finds the this German rat, yeah, who, um, who's uh, uh, who's called Carnitz, yeah, at a at a beer hall or like a dining hall, and he goes there with this woman who who uh, whose name on. is Edith Hunter, yeah, um, and uh, he starts a big he he, he he starts a kerfuffle. He starts a kerfuffle. He starts uh, some mayhem. Yeah. So he 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 was he was specifically warned like by, by his superiors, do not go to Berlin. This is a this is a diplomatic issue. This it's not a. It's not an issue for for soldiers. Yeah, you're, and, and you'll get yourself killed. They love jewels over there. Yeah, and he said, "No, I'm I'm a young guy. I've got ideas of my own. Yeah. I don't care what the old fuddy duddies think. Absolutely, I'm I'm going to go out there on my own initiative and and tr- try and try and do stuff." 
Uh, and so in the starting hall, he causes a kerfuffle by requesting a song yes. that they don't want to hear. So, so he requests uh, the song that he was singing earlier in the Turkish bath. Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, because as we learn at a certain point, when he was in South Africa, with the rest of his platoon, they were trapped in uh, in a part of South Africa for about seven months. And they had a phonograph, and all their records broke, except for one uh, uh, one specific opera record. And they, they listened to it over and over again. And p- part of this time in South Africa, uh, they, they they had this man Karnitz yeah. as as a prisoner with them. Yeah. And so uh, and so because because there is a live orchestra that takes requests in this in this beer hall, yeah, a living jukebox. Yeah. Uh, uh, what what rank is he? This one is he like a major? I thought he was like a captain. Oh, it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah, no, he's not a colonel. Let, yet. Let's say he's a captain, Captain Candy, because that's fun to say. Uh, keeps requesting this specific song for his opera, and every time Carnitz hears it, he he reacts like violently towards it because he remembers being tortured in South Africa, and so he gets the orchestra to stop playing, and then Captain Candy sends the orchestra a bunch of beer. Which is the one way to win the favor of the Germans. It is. And you might be thinking, Captain Candy, he's only trying to, you know, bring back PTSD flashbacks to torture in this guy. No, he's baiting him into a duel. The scene in the beer hall ends with Karnitz going up to, to confront Candy. Candy punches him out and then just insults the entire German army in front of these people. And then the, the, these German officers say, what? We demand satisfaction. Yeah. And in, in, they say it in that exact voice. Yeah. They well, say it in English. They say, we demand satisfaction. And so we see uh, some people from the German military uh, informing some people from the British military that, yeah, duel's happening. And they're sitting down to discuss the terms. And they're like, how lo- how heavy do you want the sabers to be? In this scene... 60 decagrams. In this scene, I picked up on a pretty subtle thing that the film wasn't on the side of the mm-hmm. Germans. And that's... Every German in the scene was wearing a monocle. It's been established on previous episodes of this podcast that you don't want to be in a monocle mindset. <laughs> I feel like there are some people who've got their monocles on their hearts rather than their heads. Yes. Like Captain Candy, when he was setting up the situation, he had a monocle on on that old thumper, you know? Yeah. Um, on, he, 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 he was push. looking for trouble and he, he, he found it. Yeah. And so then we get a very extended scene of the preparations before for the duel in this massive gym hall weighing everything out all the seconds are there it's very interesting and intricate but also not fun to describe or not many good jokes in it either no but it, yeah it's, it's, it's this long scene of, of various people getting different savers and cutting their shirt sleeves and just getting into, into position for this duel and just as they start fighting the camera cranes up through the roof to an amazing model shot yeah of Berlin in winter cut to outside where two people where, where Edith is yeah. wearing a carriage with a man from the British Embassy. They, they, they talk about, you know, ho- hoping that, that Candy is going to be okay. And then they see an ambulance leave. They don't know who was in it. Right. Um, and then we're at the hospital. They both got hurt. It seems like it was a tie. In this scene, we, we find out that Captain Candy got a, a massive cut along along his top lip. Almost had his top lip severed. He required uh, uh, eight stitches in his top lip. So, Colonel Candy, he's all scarred up. He's got a big scar across his upper lip. Yeah, and he he decides, I'm going to grow a moustache now. And that's where we learn the secret of his moustache. Yeah, this is like uh, when we see Indiana Jones first becoming afraid of snakes, or when we see Han Solo get his name in the most boring way possible. 
And the other guy, the German soldier, has a cut on his forehead. Yeah, and he had to get 12 stitches, which Candy is very pleased about, the fact that his opponent had to get more stitches than he did. And he talks his his friend, his lady friend, uh, into sticking around for six weeks while he recovers, and they're like, let's play some bridge. I got my nurse, my nurse who introduces herself by saying, hello, I speak very good English and is an amazingly bright and forthright and feels a bit of a trunchbull in training, but that's not a bad yeah, but, thing. Yeah, but, but she, she's, she's like she's like if trunchbull was nice. She's just going around like loudly declaiming she wants to be helpful to people and like, yeah, and that she's is, very good at English. I'm, I presume you meant to say nicer, because... Well, she, she, she does give that kid cake. She, she presumably gives a lot of kids tetanus, which yeah. is, you know, you got to get it sometime. you got to build up those tetanus antibodies. I, like, how else would you react when a child of the corn comes in with psychic powers like of course you chuck them in the choke look I, i'm just saying if if i ever see a child with pigtails yeah she's going over a fence <laughs> i've seen akira i know what latent and developing psychic powers in a child can do if i yeah. was in trunchbull's position i would have oh yeah i'd have just incinerated all of them <laughs> and my version of matilda is 10 minutes and mainly shots of a fire it's well known that youth as great as heroes are adults who kill psychic children which is why he loves Jack Nicholson so much in The Shining. Yeah. And I love some parts of Looper, but not all of it. And Ender's Game, maybe? Surely someone wants to kill a psychic. This seems I, like I, a did, very... I didn't watch it. Yeah, I did. did. So I, I, I bought the first four Ender's Game books yeah. in like 2012. And in the time that it took them to ship from Amazon to New Zealand, I found out that Orson Scott Card was a homophobe, and I was like, oh, I guess I'm not reading these. So in short, Colonel Candy and the German kind yeah. of become friends. Yeah. Over uh, these so the German character is called Theo Kritschmar Schulhoff. Uh, he's played by an actor called Adolf Wolbrook, mm. who later changed his name to Anton, uh, because you know, yeah. a- Adolf. Not, 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 a, not a great name after 1942. I mean, what's wrong with being named after one of the Marx brothers? <laughs> What's wrong with being named after Dolph Lundgren? <laughs> yeah, like, or one of the bullies from The Simpsons. There's like two, two, two people called Dolph in one episode. Yeah, no, yeah, we're, we're real double Dolph. Stuff. Yeah, double Dolph double, dose du- of double <laughs> Dolphs. I'm dolphling down. Now, now, now I just want to watch a, a, a series of movies where, where, like, where Dolph Lundgren is just standing on his knees the whole time, as, like <laughs> Dolph, Dolph on fishing, <laughs> Dolph on golf. Yeah, Dol- an audience with Dolph Lundgren, <laughs> in which he demonstrates how to cook some great pasta and also how to, like, break a man's neck with your elbow. And with Elton John on the keys, where he does a of wonderful course. version of, oh, he seems like a rocket man, man. Just Dolph, just straining into I mean, a monk- microphone. Like, he said, no, it's all right for fighting, because oh, Dolph yeah. Lundgren, famous fighter. I, I can only remember the names of songs from the titles of biopics or films that relate that music. So I've only heard one Beatles song, yeah, Yellow which, Submarine. Yeah. Um, uh, the, the famous Beatles biopic. So we, we have like Captain Candy and, and Edith are going to leave and go back to England. And, and Edith seems, seems very upset. And we're not entirely sure why until Theo Kritschmar Schuldorf climbs in through a window and essentially like professes his love for her in some like fun broken English. A key part of his character arc is him getting better and better at English. Yeah. In and a way that is charming and... It never, like, 
the moment when I realized I kind of, I appreciated how this film was doing jokes. Because an important thing to mention is the moment this film flashed back to the past, everyone talks like they're... Like, uh, like in, in a vaudeville routine. In a vaudeville routine. Yeah. Yeah. It's lo- lots, of, lots of snappy dialogue and lo- lots of jokes. You're like, oh, okay, people in the 40s thought that was funny. Oh, no, but, but like, no, it's still, it's still funny. Well, it's uh, like the first one is like, How's your leg? Oh, it's fine. I thought you'd lost it. I'd know when I'd be looking for it. <laughs> but, uh, but like in, in like fun English accents, not, uh, not whatever you were just doing. Hello. Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. I think I'm doing an impression of an impression that I can't remember. <laughs> the joke is never that his English is broken. Yeah. Um, they make a thing out of how the first thing he can say is very much. Yeah. But uh, that's uh, a uh, heartwarming uh, thing. Yeah. Uh, like when we first meet him, he can say two things in English. He can say very much and not very much. And this sense of these two men meeting from across the battlefield and becoming friends and that coming from a process of just seeing each other as complete people mm. um is is nice yeah yeah no it, it's, yeah and, and it, you were saying while we were watching the movie you, you wish the movie was a little bit gayer than it was yeah i just wish this film was there's a point later where they move in together and i just wish my note was that i wish this film i think feels like it wants to be like five percent more homoerotic like i wanted them once to say that they loved each other like implicit like just the tension you know like uh the fight in the train and from russia with love you know where it's just a bit it's just a bit like a, a sex scene it, is it okay i'm I'm revealing too much of myself <laughs> i guess mainly well just, when, yeah, whenever how, i how, like how, how often have you had and thrown someone out of a window <laughs> Um, I mean, are you asking, like, do I count all the individual times I've had sex or all the individual window throwings? Because the number is the same. And it is one and a half times. It was a door in the second, in the second case it was. Okay. So it, 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 it wasn't a full defenestration. No, no. I, I, well, it was security glass. Um, and so I just, it's real. No. <laughs> Nothing ruins the mood during copulation. Consensual, joyous, to be clear. Enthusiastically consensual copulation is when you consensually and delightfully grab your partner and then you got to throw them, as you do, through the window to complete the act. And it's, it's bloody safety. Who hasn't been there? Like, safety is for STDs, not for, you know, the big orgasm moment when <laughs> the glass comes crashing down and um, all spirits within you are released. Uh, I have no idea what this bit is anymore. <laughs> this is I'm just, so far off the rails. I don't know what's happening. I want you to explain to me how's a... a How's it a bit? Like, what part? What's the lie that <laughs> no, no, I'm sorry. saying? I, I forgot you were being totally sincere. <laughs> this is the one time in your life you've been sincere. Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, it's the only time I, I cannot believe I said, oh, yeah, definitely, sarcastically in response to that. I'm trapped in a prison. So Colonel Candy happily, seemingly, kind of is like, oh, no, no, we're not really engaged. You two be together. I'm so happy for you. Then there is a beat of him. Oh, no, maybe he does have feelings for her. Yeah, but like it, it's like it, it's only like a little bit at this point. It, yeah. it's, it's real like later in the film that he he was totally okay with it at, at that point. But being like, oh, when he like got on the train, he, start, he started realizing that, that he was like, that he was actually in love with Edith. Yeah. And by the time we got back to England, it was it was even worse. Yeah. But but so um so uh, uh, Clive and and Theo uh, they go up and they see Edith 
and it's all like made official that the, the two of them are engaged now, yeah. and they they all they all like drink and wear funny hats and yeah. and talk about how happy they are for each other. It's like almost certainly the most charming movie scene of two men deciding a woman's fate without her input. But um, but like it's implied that like her and Theo had like talked about this earlier. She doesn't have any input in in the scene, yeah. But 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 the decision was like hers to was hers to make. Uh, I mean, there are so many points that this film makes that it chooses to dwell on. That like there are thematic points and issues and plot beats where which it dwells on. Yeah, where it chooses to put its emphasis and the fact that it chooses not to put any emphasis on her agency within this, even though it's yeah, implied. Yeah, yeah, no, that, that's, is, that's, is that's my fair. problem. So then he moves into a house. He goes back to England to live with his aunt, yeah. who is a, who is a spinster and a deli- one scene wonder. Yeah, she's um, great. Uh, she she says she's got eighteen rooms, nothing to put in them. And yeah, she, a b- bunch of servants who are just like getting getting fat on her dime or whatever. Yeah. It, 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 it's incredibly charming. Look it up. No, watch the whole film. Maybe. Yeah. Um, and, and so of course, uh, then we then some time passes. Yeah, and, and it goes through the standard, the usual way you'd represent time passing uh, in a film I don't I, ha- I hardly need to explain that of course we see his trophy room fill up with yep. dead animals that he's killed on his journey we hear a bunch of gunshots and after every gunshot a new stuffed head appears on the wall with the like year and country un- underneath it yeah but you already like you've seen this in a dozen films yeah. you probably saw it in a film last week it, it, it was it was an Avengers in, in game to show the like three year time gap yeah. it was you know it's it's all over cinema. Yeah, no, it's like I, uh, I like the scene a lot. Uh, I think I think it's uh, it's really cool, and it's yeah, it's just a scene that shows like like the, you you start to get the sense of like oh yeah, he's got nothing in his life. Well, and it, like the the, the the now there's no war, and that he yeah. doesn't he doesn't have he he doesn't have either. The only thing that he can like do to occupy his time is to travel yeah. is to travel around the world and kill beautiful animals <laughs> and stuff their heads. And, and like there's like a baby deer up there. He kills an elephant. Like he yeah. is. He, he's there, a, he's a polar, out there. <laughs> there, there. There's a polar bear later in the movie. Later on, there is a young bear being forced to hold his letters, and it is he looks very similar to Paddington, and it's very distressing. Yeah. Um, but and the night the thing I liked so much about this sequence, and as you can see why so many people have covered it, is that because like the tension of this film is that it, a lot of the time it's kind of moving like a comedy. Um and, and like you'd happily call it a comedy in mm. a lot of ways. And that scene is essentially a sequence of jokes with a narrative function. Yeah. Like the set of reveals of it. It just shows how much it's not so much comedy can be people being like, Oh, we'll just make a film where everyone just makes jokes and you're like, No, how does the film operate like mm. a joke? Um, and it's, yeah, it's really smart and, and cool. And then it's World War One, obviously. And he's yeah. Um, at, at this point, he's he's like in his in his forties. Yeah. He's a bit older. He's starting to lose some of his hair. He's got a bit of a paunch. Yeah, his yeah. his moustache is even bigger. And yeah, it's 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 nineteen eighteen. He's wandering around like horrifying, like mud filled landscapes. Uh, he's driven to a building where a bunch of English soldiers are, and they've just captured some German soldiers. And so he wants to interrogate them to see if any of them know Theo Kretschmer Schuldorf. Yeah, and none of them, none of these, none of these Germans. Yeah. 
say a thing to him. Then we see him running like like a, a prisoner of war camp, essentially, but post the end of the war, because Armistice... Well, uh, we so um, there's an important scene before that, where like, he's trying to get back to England. At some point, he, he goes to a convent, where a bunch of nuns are, uh, because that's for, like one place in this part of France where you can get any food. While he's in this convent, he sees a young nurse uh, who's played by Deborah Kerr. And so uh, th- this is the second of... Uh, Three. Uh, well... We actually, we actually missed the second one. This is the third one. Because when he comes back to England... Oh, right, um, yeah. When he comes back to England after, like, just... Um I was just leaving Edith and Theo. Uh, he goes on a date to the opera for, with Edith's sister, yeah. who looks exactly like her. That's right. Yeah, and that that kind of that, and that they really, don't get on. No, no, because she talks during the opera. Yeah, it's another scene in in Shinesound history of bad opera etiquette. It's not an opera. It seems to be a classical play. It's yeah. He says that it's it's a musical play when, when he gets back to his aunt's place. Yeah, there's it's yeah, a, it's, it's, a, it's, it's like, some like Gilbert and Sullivan shit. Oh, uh, it's um, no, it's. No, let's. I I'm, I disagree with every word you just <laughs> said. Um, no, it's it looks classical. They're like Greek gods. It's just yeah. there's a very impressive Zeus holding up some very unimpressive lightning yeah. at one yeah, point. Well, it, yeah, it's 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 a play of, of the Odyssey, but it's also apparently a musical. Oh yeah, and it's about Ulysses. Oh, cause who? Because of the fucking Odyssey. Whenever yeah. they said Ulysses, I obviously think about James yeah. Joyce. Cause... Had 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 the book Ulysses been written when, when this? No. Yeah. Oh, when the film came out? Yeah. Yes. But okay. When where we are in the timeline? No. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um. It, it had been written. I don't know if it had been released. Okay. Um. It's good. Re- this this is my take. I as someone who's read Ulysses, I think Ulysses is good. Um. Also, I have also read Infinite Jest, and Infinite Jest is also good. And they just ignore the reader at home where people can't see you. I read the first chapter of Moby Dick once, and I was like, oh, yeah. And then I never got back to it. No, oh, wow. Well, my favorite bit of Moby Dick is, uh, I don't know, the theme he wrote for the Born Identity film, The Extreme Ways. And she remixed for each subsequent film. Yeah, I like it. It's the real theme of the Born, the Born films. Yeah, you're a big fan of Moby? A, is, that, is that what you want to, the limb you want to go out on now? I'm a fan of both Moby and... Chris Hardwick. No. <laughs> Teeny, his New York-based tea company. Mm. Um, love Moby. I do not. No. He's not even a Mobius strip. Why would you name yourself that if you had a linear beginning and end? It just seems ridiculous. But so he returns again to England, this time desperate to find this nurse yeah. he saw. We found that he basically puts on on a ball to like aid the nurses of like a, a certain part of England because yeah. he knows that like all the nurses in the group of nurses that he saw were from this particular part of, of, of Yorkshire. Yeah, and and so he puts on a ball for them. And at this ball, he meets Deborah Kerr's character, uh, who's called Barbara this time, uh, who knows Barbara uh, ba- uh, Barbara Wynne. And he seemingly like, immediately uh, the two of them are engaged, and she's totally in love with him. And he's totally in love with her, and they have this interesting scene done on back, on like so much of this film, lush, beautiful, technicolor, mm. on location. And then inexplicably, for this one very intimate scene, they're in front of a back projection of the house. Yeah. It's a scene that feels very clearly written to be like, look, we know he's like 30 years older than her yep. and married to the army. Why would anyone marry him? And she, the scene is her essentially being like, I've always dreamed of marrying someone 
It ex- will go away all the time. Exactly like you. Yeah. Um. In in a, in a way that is. Oh, I don't know. They they act the shit out of it. Yeah. Like uh, as gross as it is a scene, I think on paper. Uh, and being blinded by performance is no excuse. I, they they sell the shit out of it. But then more time passes, right? So th- th- we, they, they they move back to London. Yeah. And they move into to his aunt's old place. His aunt is now dead. As they're about to enter their house for the first time. Uh, as a married couple, uh, they have a conversation uh, about where she asks him to uh, uh, to essentially never change. Yeah, uh, she, she she makes a promise to to stay where he is until the second flood comes, which is a thing. I've seen this movie twice now. Still not entirely sure what that means. Is, is it a b- biblical reference? Uh, yeah, I think yeah. it's uh, escal- eschatological thinking. Yeah, the, the the end of the world or some kind of great revelation. Yeah, and yeah, and so he he promises that he he will stay as he is in, until the second flood comes and until their house is a lake. Now he is working. He runs the POW camp. No, no, he 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 goes to he goes to visit. Oh, he Tao goes to visit. At, 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 he doesn't. Yeah, he goes to visit Tao. He's being held at a POW yes. camp. It's about a year after after the war ended, and yeah. all, all the German officers who were captured are still being held mm-hmm. at POW camps in in England. And there was a lot of work done by the movie to make POW camps sound pretty fun. They get to sit outside, essentially having picnics and listening to Schubert. They all get taught English, and that they all they all get to do all sorts of fun activities. He goes out to see his friend. He sends out a note to his friend first, and uh, his friend is like, doesn't answer. And then uh, he goes out himself, and his friend blanks him. It's yeah. horrifying. Yeah, and so he, he goes down in, into like the, the, this group of, of German uh, prisoners, and he calls out to Teo, and Teo just walks away from him. And then every single other German prisoner just all moved away from General Candy at, at the same time yeah. until he's just standing alone. Um, so it's a, it's a sad scene. Yeah. At the the next scene, General Candy is, is having a dinner for fancy people at his yeah. house. And uh, just as it was about to start, he gets a call from Teo, uh, who has just been released from from his camp, and is at Victoria Station, about to get on a train and go back to Germany. General Kennedy just like decides, no, I need I need to see you again because yeah. we're friends. And he he goes down to the station, picks him up, and brings him back to the house where they have dinner with all of these people. And we get another scene of just, like, saying, like, yeah, British people's name. names. This is Sir Foppington von Smythe. He's yeah. the, the head of the senior office. This is uh, Jonathan X uh, Double This is Brigadier General uh, 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 Jonathan uh, Swift. <laughs> this, is, this is Archdeacon Crispin Glover. Uh, this is... Over there, that's it's just Dumbledore. Just Dumbledore, just sitting there uh, asking whether Harry put his name in the Goblet of Fire. This is the secretary. Uh, this is the secretary of a Home Office, Benedict Cumberbatch. <laughs> yeah, look, it's five Winston Churchills, <laughs> and they're herding, and they look out of a window and go, "Oh, look, it's a whole sh- field of thatchers." Um, uh, there are two bluebirds, um, and, a, and a partridge in a pear tree. And there's a, a brain in a jar, and that brain will he. Um, shuck a spear. It's <laughs> <laughs> the most British room possible. Um, yeah, and so it's so British. The walls are corned beef, and the food is just—it's just chips. also corned beef. <laughs> it's just chips. <laughs> no, served on 
on plates made of corned beef. Um, they're drinking cups of tea with spots of lemon. Yeah, it's just incredibly British. And of course... Yeah, it, it, everyone in this room has a moustache, and yeah. most of them have monocles. I mean, I feel like a lot of them have interior monocles, yeah. uh, if they're not wearing the monocles. And everyone gets along famously, it seems, right? Just a happy, fun party that everyone well, loves. Yeah. Everyone, it's just and, bringing a German to a party full of oh, British military so soon after Armistice Day... Yes. Brilliant idea, good one, Colonel Candy. Yeah, he, uh, he, end of podcast. He's a general now. Uh, yeah, he's a general. Yeah, and so Teo is is having a is having a bit of a difficult time, kind of like yeah, like being in a room with all these men who are responsible for like what he sees as the humiliation of of his country. All these men are acting in a very like condescending and paternalistic way towards him and yeah. towards Germany as a whole. And they're explaining, you know, like why like British occupation of Germany is is good for the Germans and. Like, why, you know, like, it's good that he's going to be out of a job and they can't have an army anymore. And all the the, 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 the echoes of the scene, the chiming of the scene is like, uh, this is the this is how the British, in a way, set the table for Nazism. To yeah. Is, a, is the subtext, is at least was my reading of the scene. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm not entirely sure if, I, I, I mean, yeah, so in, 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 the, in the next scene, uh, Te- Te- Teo is uh, is on the train with, with a bunch of his men, and he, he's explaining to them all the condescending things that, that were just said to him and yeah you, you get like a real sense there of just like of just how like furious he is at how like at how English people like yeah. were talking about Germany and Teo doesn't end up becoming a Nazi no. but you, you can totally imagine like the men he is talking to be- be- becoming Nazis yeah white ribboning hmm. um yeah white ribboning or Reverse fearing the soul. Absolutely. Um, reverse Ali. That just sounds like you become Muhammad Ali in reverse, though. That's, let's not do that. I mean, that film, someone wakes up to discover they're slightly more Muhammad Ali each day until, like, they wake up desperate in a ring in the jungle about to fight someone. And yet, it's, it's a movie. It's David Fincher. It's called The Curious Case of Cassius Clay. <laughs> Weaving, I don't know. Let's stick with it. Isn't it weird? How, like, like all, all the people from Aliens like went into like really like, like weird things. Like she, she went into weaving. Like, we want to like Lance Henriksen makes pottery now. Yeah, uh, the, the, the like tough like like woman soldier uh, is played by a woman called uh, uh, is played by a woman called Jeanette. Yeah, uh, someone who now makes uh, uh, plus size bras. Oh yeah, and, and well, that's like imagine by playing a character that's such a racial caricature in brownface that the only way you can atone is to make plus size bras. And of course, there's John Hurt who uh, wrote the song. Hurt. <laughs> Johnny be good. Uh, <laughs> so it's that now is a time we get another time we get uh, some more time passing. Uh, yes, we get there. Uh, it starts as looking through pages in a scrapbook from the newspaper, but that stops when we learn because that is kept by his wife. Yeah, um, and who, like, yeah, so we, we have this sort of like of like of pages turning this book, and yeah, so it's like it's, it's newspaper clippings and it, it's it's like photos of of, of their life together, yeah. and we get to a certain point and a, a page turns and it's. 
blank. Yep. And the pages keep turning and there's a blank from there yep. on. And, and she died. One of them is a news report about her death. Yeah. Um, and, and it's very sad. We also see some more animal heads yep. being added. This is when we get the polar bear. Uh, and this so is, he was like, I'm so sad about my wife. How could I possibly fill this void inside of me? I know I will murder the yeah I'll, I'll murder, the thing I'll murder that a could, polar bear. Yeah, and like normally only Mads Mikkelsen is able <laughs> to do that. This is where the final we see the final addition to the trophy room, at least for this time skip, is a German helmet, and it says Han on it. And then it's 1939. Uh, Germany not being the best dudes. No. Nope. Uh, and he's uh, having retired after World War One. Um, he's called back in, essentially. Yeah. He retired in 1935. Yeah. And then as soon as the war started... He, he was like put put back on like active service as uh, as a general. We meet the uh, the, the fourth character played by Deborah Kerr, uh, his driver, uh, uh, whose name is Angela Cannon. Yeah. But she she's uh, uh, she's known officially as as Johnny. Yeah. Because you know she, she she's one of the boys. And his German friend is fleeing Germany. Yeah. Uh, into the country. Uh, well, so uh, he he'd been living in France for for a few years. Yeah. But, but yeah, but but now he is he's finally he's, yeah. he's finally made to England. And he does this incredible um, monologue about why he thinks of England now as his home and his connection to it through his dead wife. His uh, uh, his wife also died. A lot of dead wives. Yeah, there's um, like this like beautiful like three minute long like single take monologue. Yeah, where he's just like he's just sitting down in a chair and just fucking delivering. Well, and it is, and it's one of those weird things where because as much as we can joke about this film being like nearly three hours long, like have get aiming for the deliberate pace it does, and it like it doesn't. It's long, but it does not feel long. Yeah. It's long, but it's not slow. Um, and, and like having that kind of kind of slightly languorous pace allows you to have a moment like that. Mm. And like this monologue is kind of worth the price of entry on yeah. its own. Like I, a, I, I I love this monologue so much, and I think I, I think that like this this scene does really effectively is it, it shows that the film is not just like opposed to like Nazism because like oh that's what the bad guys are doing. Yeah, it, like it is a film that is like is ideologically opposed to to, yep. to Nazism. Well, and that there are. And it also has an interesting thing because it's like he had eight months where he was he before he fled Germany after the Reichstag fell, right? Yeah. Um, and and it was like it's because I didn't think they were coming, and then I realized that eventually they would, or they were hurting other people. Yeah. And that it, it, which is actually a very complex view on that mm. situation. So it's not even being like, oh, Nazis are bad. Like, not all Germans are Nazis. It's being like, no, there is complicitness and yeah. we have to engage with this in a way that's just good, but also deadly to us as a podcast because there's just no good, there's no jokes. No, so uh, let, let, it, let, let's move on. General Candy comes into this this meeting yep. uh, and, and says, no, I'll, I'll take Teo, I'll, I'll vouch for him. Yep. Uh, and so that's when they live together. And that's yep. when, in my mind, they're just a happily married couple. Oh, is it, is there's another really good, really good part of that scene where, yeah. So it's brought up by the person who's like in, in charge of his like asylum application. You know, he says, you know, it took you eight months to leave Germany, and then and and Tia says to it, it, it took you English five years to realize the Nazis were a problem. And the guy's like, yeah, no, yeah. fair. Uh, it's good, and it, like they're making the war is still happening while they're making that this film. Yeah, uh, and that it is not that it is resolutely as much as I do still have sincere questions about its idea of what an army is for. Mm. Um, it, it is working resolutely to not even be faintly propaganda um, in a way that is, is admirable and, 
it's no, it's not. I mean, it is admirable. admirable. It's admirable, but also it's like that's work they had to do for themselves. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, we that, can that, only see it with hindsight. Yeah, and like the, that, I think like that really like goes to show like how important the, the like archers like manifesto is. Like yeah. they're not beholden to anyone except themselves, and consequently they are they are making types of films that no one else at the time was was making. And so th- it kind of that kind of brings us up to the present. Yeah. So the, the, so which like, is to say the the not 1942 1942 yeah so uh, there's a couple of years um we find at one point that uh, that general candy has been fired yeah. he, he he's no he's no longer part of the army and he he's despondent this is all he's known for for 40 plus years and then while he's like moping around both teo and angela say to him just stop stop fucking giving up there's other stuff you can do. You can still be useful, and that's when he decides to to join the Home Guard. That scene also has, while he's reading his letter, uh, depressed by the window, the two of them, uh, Teo and uh, Johnny, yeah. um, are, con- uh, are miming to each other, like, uh, "No, you go talk to him. No, you do- no. I want to get a drink. Oh, no, I'll go. I'll get us both a drink, and then we'll both talk to him." Um, and it seems like it's just a gag, but the way it just is like, "No, look at like these people have formed a." weird family yeah um in a way that was just kind of nice to see and it was not about like everyone forgiving everyone their faults so it was like oh no he's gonna have another fucking mood in these scenes all of these characters they're talking to each other like like people they're all allowed to have disagreements even though they're all like wildly different like statuses in society they're all like treated like pretty equally by the film in terms of like their, their usefulness and then we get a scene essentially the events from the beginning of the film well so first we have the montage of general candy like joining the home guard yeah and, and like whipping them into shape to, right. to become like a, a proper like like <laughs> d- defense force and this is all done through uh, local magazine reports and so we get it's a lot of montages of many magazines with portraits of him on the cover like it seems to be if you could not read english you would think that this film was about a man who was inexplicably times person of the year <laughs> for like five years running and but we see the from the beginning the so Colonel Candy who's the guy who was in the fight just to remind everyone you know we're an hour since we started beginning <laughs> describing this film um, everyone uh, 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 is the person who call is in charge of this exercise the war the, the practice war that starts at mm-hmm. midnight um, and then the soldiers come but one of the soldiers is dating Johnny yeah the the driver and, and, uh, and like, he, he he's like being able to get like some some information out of her about the time the exercise starts and like what the kind of rules of it are going to yeah. be and so he he essentially like uses Johnny uh, in, in order to try and like make a fool of, of General Candy. Um, and, and so she uh, beats him up a little. And, yep. and, and she, a, she throws him. She throws him through some chairs. And he hits his, his head on a wall. Yeah, it's great. And then a, um, a, a barmaid just screams, "He's dead! He's dead!" and runs out of her room. It's yep. pretty fun. Um, even though we know from earlier in the film that he he's not his, his name is Spud. Yeah. Uh, they call him Matahari because she runs back to warn him ahead of time. But luckily, but. Unluckily, that doesn't. He's still kind of beaten up, and he's humiliated. Hmm. And so we see, we find him sitting in a park, uh, moping and alone. We also thought to at, at some point his house gets blown up in an air raid. Oh, that's right. His his like manservant uh, um, uh, Murdoch is is killed. Yep. A character we have not mentioned thus far, but it's it's kind of sad when it happens. He's a real Alfred. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so he, he's he's sitting in in this park, just 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 sad, thinking about what what a useless old shit he is. And then then Johnny comes up with with, with Teo, and they they console him a bit. And 
throughout the scene, we, we hear a band playing louder and louder as the, as the, the soldiers like march into London, driving home that he failed his in his exercise. And yeah, and he talks about how like the fact that what they did is kind of funny and good is even more humiliating. Yeah. So it wasn't like, like they they did make it like a serious point yeah. with with what they were doing. Yeah, no, they they got him in a way that's. A little sad. Yeah. And so they, they walk across the street from the park to where the parade is going to come down. And they see that they're standing by where his house once was, which has now been turned into an emergency reservoir. And he, he says, this is a lake now, and I haven't changed. Uh, then it says the end yep. on the screen. Well, saluting. Oh, that's right. He salutes. Yeah. He salutes he, the, he, the approaching army that we do not see. Yeah. And he, yeah, the movie ends with him like accepting that war has changed and he is like you don't win wars by sticking tr- to tr- to tradition yeah you, you have to be able to like change over times yeah so phineas nicholas yes that's my name don't wear it out <laughs> <laughs> the life and death of colonel blim is it shite or sound uh i i i, I think it's sound this is the same time i've watched this movie this year as, as i said i i i don't love this film in the way but i i've loved yeah. some some of the, the previous ones but I mean, I, I think it it like it looks incredible. Like yeah. I, there are, there are a few things I love more than Technicolor cinematography, <laughs> and like this, this film is an amazing example of that. But, I, uh, I would I'm going to take a third option, okay. and that I am going to call it both shite and sound. Okay, in that like it's beautiful. Hmm. How it, how its mechanism works is is interesting. But because I still have these questions about its morality, yeah, I think all of its thematic points make sense when you're facing the Nazis. But I'm so aware that all of those thematic points are about to happen when it comes to uh, how you go to war with communists. Yeah, who? Let's be clear, Stalin. Not a good man. No, not good communism. The Soviet. This podcast. Uh, this is this is a no tankies zone. Yeah, no, absolutely no tankies. No, no fascists. No tankies. Uh, no, no turfs. Yeah, I mean that. As much as I, I like to believe that we should just, you know, we should live our lives in a way that no one ever has to ask if we're turfs. I just want to make clear, like, absolutely fuck turfs. <laughs> Like, I cannot imagine being like, oh, look, the most victimized people in the world. I've got a solution for you. They're not people. What if they had it worse? I How dare. <laughs> I just don't How dare people who have battled for their own dignity for their whole lives uh, uh, and won in many cases, right? Then just be like... Now I'm going to keep some of this yeah. just for... My, my favourite thing about a ladder is pulling it up after me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, mate, there's nothing sweeter than the feeling of the rope of that ladder skimming through your fingers as hungry, desperate hands reach out for it. Yeah, no, it's not. I, I recommend you see the film, I, but I think it is potentially more interesting. As of the of the films to recommend to see, it's the one I kind of want to put the biggest asterisk next to. Yeah, no. I, even I think, I though one fair. of those is like, oh, there's like a lot of racial and <laughs> issues of sexism across these films. Um, a thing, a person we haven't really dwelt on because the story is so much about Colonel Candy is Deborah Kerr and her these four roles mm-hmm. and like the work she does to make each of them like different yeah. and uh, unique in their own people. It's not this is not a film about like women are interchangeable. <laughs> you know, there are four women who look the same, so they're the same woman. Yeah, There's very much a sense of yeah. them being they're, they're four like totally individual performances. The like, first time I saw the movie, it, it, it did kind of take me a while to figure out like, oh, that's the same person. Yeah. It's just everyone that's ginger is her. Yeah, they, they yeah. just don't have uh, anyone else in the red hair. It seems because yeah, I did not know going into this film that this film had doubles in it, mm. and and I, I like I've got a particular thing for films and TV 
be where, you know, I like to orphan black, if you will. Yep. That that is not, it's not really considered in the canon uh, of those things. Mm. It doesn't it doesn't help that she's not the lead, but it, people should be talking about it more. I would say my pitch and for you, the listener, on how to watch this film is like, watch it in half hours before you go to sleep. Like watching it over a couple of days. It's quite episodic. Yeah. Speaking of things you like more than Technicolor Cinema, Finn, Scott how's your love life? <laughs> Adkins. I want to talk about Scott Adkins. Who Scott Adkins? So he is an English martial artist, uh, and he is one of the performers uh, that I have a particular affinity for. Yeah, I uh, over the past few years I've gone like really into like modern martial arts cinema. They started like w- watching the like recent spate of, of Indonesian action movies like The, the Raid, The Raid Two, The yeah. Night Comes for Us, and through through that became uh, became a big fan of Scott Adkins. Uh, who is uh, mo- mostly known for uh, a series of prison fighting MMA movies uh, called uh, called the Undisputed series, where he plays Yuri Boyka. So he, he he's a guy who like specializes in like very very low budget, straight to like DVD uh, action movies, o- often starring Jean Claude Van Damme or Dolph Lundgren. I think he he's been in like seven or eight different movies with each of those guys. This is, I think, my first real engagement with a like unfilmed uh, Scott Adson. Yeah. Ad, Ad, Adkins. Scott Ad, Adson from, from 30, 30 Rock. Rock. Yeah. You did, of course, see uh, uh, Scott Adkins in the opening scene of The Pink Panther, where he plays a soccer player in Two Shot. The only thing I have to add about Scott Adkins, at least to begin with, is uh, that he looks like you put Jason Statham's photo into Face App and then added more testosterone to it. Yeah. Like he, he looks like. Bear Grylls ate an English muffin. Yeah, he he looks like generic English tough guy, kind of. No, no. Oh, he he he's like he's like handsomer than like generic English tough guy. Would no, be. I wouldn't. I would not say that. I'd say he's average looking. Uh, I think it, this is not the movie where he looks the best. He's, d- he's covered in blood and looking at things blankly for most of this are movie. You, are you aware of the Uncharted video James series? Uh, yes, I've, uh, I've never played. Uh, uh, in in the third one, the opening scene is a bar brawl in an English pub. Everyone that they fight in that pub looks like Scott Adkins. Well, so he looks like a PlayStation. Three era so, uh, British villain. J- just last year, Scott Adkins made an entire movie, which is just basically a brawl in an English pub. It's called Avengement. Does it does it go outside the pub at all? Uh, yes. Oh, there, there, oh. There, are, there are extended flashback scenes to him in prison, getting uh-huh. good at fighting. Oh no, I did want to. Uh, I want. I, what's the the Brie Larson film that's just a gunshot? Oh, uh, free, free, free fire. Free fire. Yeah, Scott Edson in a free Adkins. fire situation. <laughs> no, Scott Edson. <laughs> From 30 Rock. Yeah. Him, him and Tina Fey just, just killing people. I mean, Tina Fey has done worse. <laughs> so Universal Soldier, Soldier Day of Reckoning. Which is the sixth? There, are, there is a weird chronology to the, uh, to the Universal Soldier yep. uh, series. So we have the first Universal Soldier movie, 1992, directed by uh, Roland Emmerich. That one stars uh, Muscles from Brussels, uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, and uh, as, Adolf Lundgrum. <laughs> yeah. That movie is like an okay sci-fi action movie. Yeah, I, not, I, not, not great. 
I remember the poster, but that's pretty much it. Yeah, and after that, there was a sequel, which I think was made for, like, basic cable, and that's called Universal Soldier 2 Brothers in Arms, and that has none of the stars of the original. And then there was Universal Soldier The Return, which brought back Jean-Claude Van Damme and has nothing to do with Universal Soldier 2, but is a sequel to the first one. Then there was Universal Soldier 3, Unfinished Business, which is the fourth Universal Soldier film. And that is a sequel to Universal Soldier 2 and has nothing to do with The Return. That has the the same stars of Universal Soldier 2. Then there was a 10-year gap until director John Hyams made Universal Soldier Regeneration in 2009. It's a sequel to The Return. And that brings back Dolph Lundgren. Only to have him regenerate into Patrick Charlton, of course. And then three years after that, John Hyams, who I believe is the the only director to make two Universal Soldier movies. He's he's a real Universal Soldier when it comes to Universal Soldier. He he makes Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning, which stars Jean-Claude Van Damme, Dolph Lundgren and Scott Atkins. But not in that order at all. That is th- that, that, that is the billing order. That is Yeah, that's the billing order. Jungle Van Damme did not spend over four days on set for this film. No, but like, that, that is how this movie got made. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And like Dolph, maybe a week. Um, uh, Dolph, I don't know, he, he shows up in you know, three or four different scenes. Oh, okay, no, a week for his scenes and then a week for his fight. Yeah. So, we start. It's a POV shot. What is this? Hardcore Henry? It's a guy. He's in bed. He's with his wife. He love her. He's, he has a moment loving his wife, but his kid says that there are there monsters. Are, there are in, monsters in the house. Yeah. Um, and so, of course, uh, he gets up, checks there in a monsters in credits roll. Uh, it was a very yeah. interesting uh, just, film. Just, 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 a, not, you know, just, a, just a nice little short. Yeah. Uh, he gets up, and you'll never guess, but there are uh, men in what I would term burglar costume costumes. Yeah. Um, it's... They might as well have striped bags that say swag on them. Look, this movie uh, does not have a super high budget, and uh, consequently there are uh, uh, are issues with it. Yeah. Uh, I'm I I love this movie. This is yeah. this is one of my most watched movies. Yeah. Uh, but it 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 certainly uh, it certainly has issues. Um, you love this movie, and all the CG bullet hits like look like someone throwing play doh at a wall. Both of these things can be true. Yeah, like there, there is. God, like I think, like if if they just shelled out the squibs, this might be my favorite movie. But there are a couple of times where it seems like they have, or maybe there were just two bullet hit guys. Um, one did a good job, and one did a bad job. Yeah, it, it's it's so hard to tell in this movie, like what, like, especially when it comes to like blood, like what they're doing, what they're doing practically, and what is digital. Um, and then, uh, of course, these intruders. Uh, they, they they beat the shit out of him with a crowbar. Uh, and then uh, kill his wife and child. Yeah. This whole scene is done like entirely from Scott Aiken's character, uh, who's called John. Uh, done entirely from his point of view. It's set up like it's a, it's a one take, but there are like cuts throughout the scene which they hide with blinking, which is an interesting way to do that. Well, they should have just gone the full 1917. They should have done the proper Sam Mendes thing. And shot it all in one actual take. They yep. should have just been cowards and just had Benedict Cumberbatch waiting in a little tent at the end of <laughs> several kilometers of, and, and just had him wait. And every time they fucked up, he'd be like, it was never like this on Sherlock, you no. know? It was a bit like this on The Hobbit, though. Mm. But he, he didn't have to be there on The Hobbit. He didn't spend any time inside the CGI dragon. I mean, he, he wasn't, there's he behind-the-scenes was... footage that kind of shows that he's that he's done that. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he, and he, I've he, read he, some very detailed fan fiction about he, Benedict uh, Cumberbatch about being Benedict, inside a dragon. Yeah, about Benedict Cumberbatch like, puppeteering the CGI dragon. 
Yeah. Smaug. Smorg. Smorg or Smaug? Do you know what? I absolutely don't care at all. <laughs> like, there's nothing in the... As much as I was just talking about how I don't care about people if they're not in Doctor Who, <laughs> I want to make clear how little interest I have in how to pronounce Tolkien words. Could not disagree more strongly. As a nerd, as a massive nerd, like someone... I'm such a nerd, I'm literally recording a podcast right now. You're, you're recording a podcast about a directed dvd <laughs> movie. I I think Tolkien is nerd bullshit, <laughs> and I will have no time for it. So, uh, you see, where he, he gets beaten horribly, and his wife and his daughter each, each get uh, each get shot with CGI bullets yeah, and um, explode in CGI blood. By who is this? It's JCVD himself. Yeah, he, he specifically walks up to the camera and pulls off his dollar store burglar mask yeah. and says, oh, I'm Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. I'm the bad guy in this one. And yeah. everyone's just like, oh, Wow, he was the good guy in the previous movies. This is... What what a what a switcheroo! Pretty fucked up. And having not seen any of the previous films, this is the point where I was asking Finn is like, should I be shocked that he's like that, or is should it not be? Should I should I think he's good but be bad, or should I be happy that he's bad? Or yeah, I didn't and, even and, know that him and Dolph were on different sides in previous films. Yeah, and my, my response to all of these questions was, who cares? <laughs> yeah, because uh. To describe the plot of this film is to grasp your hairs at gossamer spiders' threads yeah. hanging in the air. They're not there. They're there to connect them, meet the wrapped up yummy fleas for the spider to eat, which is yeah, so like, This movie like has like a kind of like weird like neo noir plot, and I think the, the reason for that is uh, um, it, at one point he gets a clue off a matchbook. Yes, <laughs> but but like also with with like if you're doing like a neo noir thing, doesn't really matter if all the pieces come together in fact because like with, with noir it's it's more it's more about like creating a mood than it is about creating like a, a coherent story well yeah and the the mood of this is oh fuck yeah people people have had their heads fucked up yeah the atmosphere of this movie is just a constant sense of the fact that like humans are made of meat yeah, <laughs> yeah we're real there's a real beefiness to the things <laughs> of this to the of this film uh and so uh scott edser wakes up he yeah, wakes he, up he, in the hospital yeah he, he wakes up like as the only uh, the only patient in a uh, gigantic hospital room yeah uh, and there's a mean corporate guy who's like, what up? Hello, I'm mean and corporate. Uh, yeah, I'm going to say nice things to you. But then when he walks away, he picks up his phone and says, call the plumber. And he, I don't he, think he, he's got a leak. He, he also holds up he, he holds up a picture of Jean-Claude Van Damme to, like, to Scott Atkins and says, like, is this the man that killed your wife? Yeah. And he's like, yeah, this is the man that killed my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kept thinking he's Australian in this film. I kept hearing his voice as Australian. No, uh, like, in, in this movie, he doesn't, doesn't really talk that much. No. And when he does talk, it doesn't totally matter what he's saying a lot no, of the time. No, um, we were talking most of that time. Anyway. Yeah. Um, I, I think... Uh, I think we were talking over every single exposition scene, but, which like is fine for me because I've seen this movie four times now. But I also got in the gist of how everything connects, I mean, and a I, lot of the exposition was people explaining things the audience already knew yeah, to each other. I, 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 I did have to explain some stuff to you, yeah, but that, that's because the movie is unclear a lot of the time. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that if I had the same amount of engagement I had today, I would have. But without you there, I would know about the same. Um, and so he, after no, he he was asleep for nine months, so you know what that means. He had a baby during that time. Yeah. Um, 
but so now yeah, he's the, out. As as like me, mean corporate guy walks away, as, as you've said, he 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 uh, uh, he makes a phone call and and says to, to like a- activate the plumber. And then okay. we we cut to uh, uh, we cut to a house where uh, where a plumber is fixing uh, uh, the, the sink of of an elderly yep. woman, and uh, this plumber is. Uh, Played by a guy called Andre Arlovsky, yeah. who I think was the bad guy in the previous movie, and is also, uh, I believe, an MMA fighter. I mean, he he has he is dense. Yeah, like he is certainly he's not the biggest, but he looks like the heaviest man on yeah. earth. Yeah, he he, he 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 looks solid. He looks like if you punched him, it would be like hitting like a wall. Yeah, not like hard meat, like most people, you know. Hard meat. Hard meat was the other title we were going to give this podcast, <laughs> and, and then we're like, no, it doesn't doesn't really fit at all. Well, it's it's well, it's difficult to be like so thin. Ali fear eats the soul. Did it make you hard, <laughs> <laughs> or did you, <laughs> or, or would you like to meat? Yeah, well, see, d- d- there was a very good reason we didn't call our podcast hard meat. <laughs> No, it, it'll be our spinner podcast, which is just us tasting different <laughs> solid. <laughs> um, but so it's, it's mainly going to be corned beef. I I have a lot. How this director, whose name currently escapes me, John Hyams, John Hyams shoots action. I have so much fucking time for. He yeah. knows how to shoot a fucking fight scene. He does not know what to do with dialogue to the point where multiple characters, like usually one scene characters, will just be in a scene and they'll just be standing in the middle of the room, looking into the middle distance. Yeah. Um. Normally away from someone else, and it is like, can you imagine just in your life that if we were having this conversation, except you were standing over there looking away from me uh, and she get and she gets through that so she's just kind of like in the small kitchen looking wistfully at the wall being like will he please fix my please it's still leaking or whatever yeah and so what what while while he is under the sink um, some like thing in his brain gets activated and his vision goes all funny and he, he starts like shaking around a bit and then he gets out of the sink, uh, vomits uh, some yellow stuff yep. uh, into the sink, and he just walks out of the room with a woman being like, hey, where are you going? Please fix my sink. Yeah. And he goes and gets in his truck and drives off. We see Scott Adkins like, leaving hospital, and he gets given his possessions back. Uh, he, he gets a cell phone, he gets a wallet, which is filled with money. Uh, he gets his wedding ring, and he gets a, a bracelet with a letter beads in it that says, uh, Daddy. And then, yeah. he, then he has a flashback. So presumably... Got it from his wife, yeah. As soon as he sees his bracelet, he he flashes back to his birthday yeah. where he, he received this gift from, from his daughter. What else do you want to see in a film? Like, you've seen the emotion. You've seen some good killings. I would like to see an extended sequence of naked women being killed. Yeah. Um, in a way that is, I would say, morally repugnant and kind of is a, is a, is a Leto-style blemish. So he, here's, here's the thing about this movie. Uh, it's gross. Yeah. It does a lot of gross stuff. Yeah. Uh, and it, it treats the human body with absolutely no respect. Yeah. And, like, yeah, I, I, I think, like, th- this is definitely a movie that I love, which I do not recommend to people. Yeah. Uh, because it says things about me, which I'm not entirely comfortable having said about me. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, you've just said them in a way. Uh, yeah. So we get we're 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 at a we're at a brothel. All all, all, all of the rooms are, are taken up by like various like various universal soldiers. Yeah. Uh, uh, who are having sex with prostitutes, yeah. except for one of them who is uh, uh, who I guess is paying a paying a prostitute to hammer his a nail into his hand. Yeah, of course, as you do. Because um, like once once you get so powerful, you know, like what once once you take 
so many steroids that like you know like pain pain and pleasure become one well because being a universal soldier also, you you're like fucked his dick off earlier <laughs> The the camera link is on women's bodies and at a, in in a way that it would not twerk a man. I mean, yeah, like I mean, th- th- this is like through and through an an exploitation film. Yeah, um, it, it just it's, it's it's the bit of exploitation that's not fun. Yeah, um, and, and so then the plumber enters and just with a shotgun turns everyone into beans. Yeah, he, yeah, he starts going go, going through this place like room by room and every every. Something that that I do kind of like though is like every, every single one of the soldiers like they they come out of a room like with the prostitute they were just having sex with like in front of them as a human shield like these guys are all like the universal soldiers yeah, these are all like genetically enhanced super soldiers who are made entirely of meat and cannot be killed by like being shot once you have to shoot them like two or three times and all of them decide like no I'm going to use this naked woman as a shield first yeah. I, I think that this movie like it is. It, like it, it is doing the exploitative stuff, and it is also criticizing the exploitative stuff at, at, at the same time. I think, but it's still doing it. I, I'm, I'm absolutely not making the argument, but it's not doing it. It's definitely doing it. And I think the argument for it is more sincere than the argument against it. <laughs> just like everyone else who exists, I am totally capable of justifying uh, problematic things that I enjoy. Yeah, we've already. And um, now, do we leave in me talking about Love and Grimes's album? I can't remember. Uh, yeah, that, 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 that's that's still in on the Everyone knows about Grimes. Yeah, oh no, I would really like a new favourite album of the year. If anyone tweet me at Youth Lives, U-T-J-L-I-V-E-S, another album from this year that will be my new favourite, please. It has to also be good and very specifically to my taste. Um, currently listening to a lot of uh, Talking Heads and yeah. Dorian Electra, if that yeah. helps you out there. Uh, here's the thing about Talking Heads, uh, really good. Mm, mm. Uh, I've, I, I've, I've watched Stop Making Sense twice this year so far. And I probably will again. Everyone who's listening to this knows that Talking Heads are good. Not everyone listening to this knows that Dorian Electra is incredible. Uh, it's, yeah, genderfuck pop music. Okay. Yeah. Uh, one's called Adam and Steve, for instance. A song called Daddy Like. There's a whole pop peon to being a working career guy, like a white collar or office worker, that's just called Career Boy. Uh, and it's about how much he loves his job. Right. Really is, 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 is it anything like Sophie? Uh, yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, I, uh, well, I was staying at my mum's place, and I, I, I play, I play, uh, I play the song "Face Shopping" yeah. for, for for my mum and her seventy-five-year-old uh, oh, no. boyfriend. Okay. And so just for the they uh, were, were not fans of it. Um, I, w- I did, just so the audience has some context for that, I would just call f- "Face Shopping" a song that is it's less musical than it is a angry maelstrom of beautiful noise. Yeah. Um. It, 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 it is a song that like where all, all, all of all of the sounds in it are someone screaming broken glass at you <laughs> yeah um but it's also it's a good song oh the um i will love everyone's uninsides which sophie's album banger after banger yeah so that's recommendation corner closed um so so uh and then then he gets to the last room in the in the brothel having Killed all the universal soldiers and, of course, sex workers. Yeah. So, yeah, so he's gone for a room. He gets to the final one. Uh, he he bursts in with a shotgun and there is a prostitute on, on the bed and he just he just shoots her immediately. She, she goes flying back into the wall. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it turns out, oh, it was it was another trap because Dolph Lundgren was standing behind the door 
and they uh, they like fight a little bit, yeah. and then Dolph Lundgren picks up a syringe and jams it into Papa Palmer's neck. Yeah, with uh, blue stuff in it. Yeah, which... and here we get to uh, one of my favorite scenes of the movie. Yeah, uh, when it just enters the void for a yes. bit. This is like the scene where you're like. Oh, okay. John Hyams seen a lot of art movies. <laughs> yeah, I probably should say um, if you're thinking of watching uh, this movie, uh, make sure you don't have photosensitive epilepsy. Like for like for real, for yeah. real. The, 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 this movie, uh, like even if you don't have epilepsy, it might be incredibly uncomfortable to watch. Yeah, like the, the, this. At, at this point, when he gets the syringe jammed into his neck, the, the screen just starts like strobing black and white, and there is this like droning noise, and 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 then on top of it all, to make it even worse, you see jo- you see John Claude Van Damme's face, <laughs> <laughs> and John Claude Van Damme at this point looking very much like a faintly melting Vincent D'Onofrio. It's revealed later in this movie that Universal soldiers can't regenerate any damage that's done to them. Yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's some damage. Even a Universal yeah. Soldier cannot. Is that the first time in the Universal Soldier franchise we've learned they can regrow limbs? I've only seen the first one, and I cannot remember what happens in that because I don't remember anything in that movie except that Dolph Lundgren dies by being thrown into a threshing machine. I mean, how else are you going to take out Lundgren? Yeah, he, he's too powerful. <laughs> he's too powerful. What this like syringe to the neck does? It basically like, cuts off the government like super soldier programming that is making uh, that's making the plumber want to kill Luke Devereaux and yeah. Andrew Scott as Dolph yep. Lundgren's character. Andrew Scott, the actor who played Moriarty. Yeah. This we would kind of like figure out like what what is happening in this movie is these two like first generation universal soldiers are trying to like free yeah. all of their all of their brethren basically yeah. and they, they, they all want to like be able to live their lives as uh, uh, like roided out murder machines on, on, on their own terms and they, they don't want to take the government's orders. It, on, on the like promotional material for this movie yeah. like or, it, it all says like like in a, in a world about government <laughs> and then like that never comes up in the movie wow it, it's like it, it, it's yeah like this is supposed to be like like post some sort of yeah. like governmental or civilizational collapse but then there's there's nothing to really indicate that yeah um yeah so so now now uh, now the plumber is free and he can go about plumbing on his own terms <laughs> and then uh, john so it's god Atkins, he he goes back to his his house where yep. where his wife and and uh, daughter were murdered and he kind of mopes around for a while you know he 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 eats uh, a lot saying he mopes around for a while covers a lot of ground in this yeah, film he he eats some sort of like some sort of indeterminate breakfast he he goes to his daughter's room and has a flashback to like her covered in blood. Yeah. He he like uh, has a flashback to uh, uh, his wife's boob. Is a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, uh, and <laughs> in my head, it's an uh, inanimate boob just floating in space unattached. I mean, that's to a body. sort of how the camera frames. <laughs> I mean, it's a gross film. Yeah, um, I don't hate it. I don't uh, hate it. Yeah, this is where. Uh, the plot starts to become murky. Oh, uh, yes. <laughs> this is, and then he just goes to an, another place. Well, okay. So he, uh, while he's sitting having his indeterminate breakfast, he gets a call. Ah, uh, uh, yeah. He gets a call from a guy called Isaac. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Isaac, we, we, we don't really know who he is. Mm-hmm. Yet, and jo- John doesn't know who he is either. Yeah. But, but Can't Isaac, wait to meet him. Yeah, Can't but, wait to see Isaac in good health. Can't uh, wait to see the glisten of his ruddy cheeks you know maybe we'll get to see him like you know say a few words yeah maybe we'll get to find out about him as a person i want isaac's three minute colonel blimp monologue about finding out his sons are nazis yeah it's but so yeah we give this call we get this call from isaac john does not know who isaac is but isaac yeah. has his number knows who he is and john i guess like kind of like 
chalks it up to 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 the to the memory loss he's been experiencing uh, since coming out of his coma. And he uh, he he gets Isaac's address and he goes to uh, uh, he goes to meet him. And when, when he gets to Isaac's apartment. Uh, the door is unlocked, yeah. and someone's dropped a jar of jam. Yeah. Oh no! Oh, there, 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 there is some sort of red stuff all over the walls. That's great. And a, a bunch of stuff has been overturned. Some kind of relish incident. And he he he, he walks around. He walks into Isaac's room. And Isaac's he, 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 gonna lose it when he sees yeah. all this mess. He see he sees the bed, yeah. and he sees on the far side of the bed some sort of red stain on the ground. Yeah, I know. And he reacts horrified. So it's like, oh man, yeah, it, that means all, it's red wine. We know how much. Isaac loved his chutney. <laughs> yep. uh, He's uh, famous for it. And then uh, we get a horrifying. Ex- we, 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 we get uh, what I think uh, what I think is a, a pretty great piece of filmmaking, <laughs> where where Scott Atkins walks around to to bed, looks down. There is a close up of him recoiling in disgust. Yeah. And and you think it's like oh it's doing the, yeah. the Reservoir Dogs thing where like not seeing the horrifying thing is more. Like more painful than actually yeah. seeing it, and then John Holmes says, "Nope, this is what's more disgusting." <laughs> and he, you get a cut back down to Isaac's mangled, disgusting corpse. Yeah, they. It, it they, is horrifying. It's horrifying, and it looks like they've really fucked up a like CPR practice dummy. Yeah, like. It, the uncanniness of it is almost one of the worst parts. Like it, 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 it looks like it. Yeah, it, it looks like a CPR dummy made of bruises. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, yep, it, it, it exactly looks like that. Uh, and so, obviously, John responds to that with, "Oh, I don't know what." <laughs> he just leaves the room. Well, yeah. So, so he, well, he's he's like. Oh, this is bad! I got to get out of here. Yeah. And as as he's leaving, he sees uh, he he sees on the like nightstand there, there is uh, there, there is like a is a, a, a matchbook uh, with with, uh, with with John's name and phone number in it, and uh, and it's a uh, it's a matchbook for a strip club, which yep. was called like Violence. And the weird thing is that the number um, on the matchbook says in square brackets. Uh, what is it? Uh, plot band aid fix later. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't know if I've ever seen a movie where I care less about the plot. Yeah, but he goes to the strip club, and he he sees a uh, uh, he sees a woman uh, dancing on stage, and when they make when they make eye contact, she seems to recognize him, and he does not know who she is, but he is yeah. you know he's since since he has like no idea who he is or like or like what like what his place in the world is he tries to talk to her but she uh, seems like scared of him she doesn't want to talk to him mm. and uh, then uh, uh, then our our best friend larry comes over yeah and this guy says what's larry gotta do to get all that dance and um we're only guessing that his name is larry because he only says it and is wearing it on a large badge on his chest yeah so th- this is um like th- this is larry yeah, everyone loves him. Everyone knows him. He's fan favorite. Yeah, I believe he's like Larry. Uh, is I, I think, I think he was Times Person of the Year in 2012. <laughs> yeah, who doesn't? You can't remember. You could barely walk down the street without seeing kids with their Larry lunchboxes with their Larry uh, <laughs> fruit for you. Everyone was buying their like replica Larry shirts. Oh yeah, and it, and like all over the world, everyone like it was, it was the like my wife of the early t- 2010s yeah. was people saying, what's Larry got to do to get a left dance? <laughs> um, the world was truly happy as Larry. Um, <laughs> and, and, and I'm sorry to tell you this, but 
He then leaves the film never to return. <laughs> Poor Larry, no. Yeah, so he, as, as soon as Larry comes over, even though he is uh, objectively gross, Larry and Sarah yeah. uh, go off together. And uh, uh, Sarah, just for your mental picture, is the human incarnation of the word pouting. <laughs> like, it's what she does throughout the film. I don't know if she could she, do she, she is else. She is also the human incarnation of word topless. <laughs> yeah. The, this yeah. is another scene with just a lot of nudity for, like, I mean, it's at a strip club, so there's a reason. There's not a reason, but there is a reason. So uh, jo- John decides to go into the bathroom. Yeah, indeed. And w- while, while he's in the bathroom, uh, he happens upon the plumber, uh, mm-hmm. who I just remembered, uh, uh, his character's name is Magnus in the movie. Much better to just call him the plumber, though. That's yeah. all fun. That makes him sound like a um, raid villain. But if, 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 I, if I call him Magnus, I say the one whole syllable. Okay. Uh, so they fight. Yeah. No, they don't really well, fight. So, yeah. So, um, uh, so Mag- Magnus has been sent by uh, Jean Claude Van Damme to like free Scott Adkins. So he, he's not interested in, in fighting him. But so he he comes up to Scott Adkins and he uh, j- just as Dolph Lundgren did to him, he jabs a syringe into the back of uh, into the back of his neck. And then we get the the, the second uh, strobe scene, yeah, which very one, soon after. Yeah, the it, first. It, it's like ten minutes after the first one, and I wish I I wish it had paced that better. So it well, was like it, I, I wish it happened like twenty minutes later than it did. Well, it really seems like it's building you up for a climactic one in the third yeah, act. Yeah. Which spoiler alert, this is the last strobe we'll ever disrobe. Yeah, and I I wish I, I love those strobe scenes so much I wish feel more of them in the movie. <laughs> Do you, would you like this film if it was just Yeah, this film if it was just a sequence of fights where the winner gets strobed. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, That's I, a better I, version of this film. Yeah. So Scott Aiken starts to have the same sort of vision that like Magnus had earlier yeah. of uh, of Jean Claude Van Damme like explained to him that like your mind is not your own and you need to like, take your freedom. But then he has like the the, like, the image of, of his wife and child being murdered like comes in interrupts his deprogramming and so he like snaps out of it and and tries to tries to fight magnus but then uh, uh, then a bunch of bouncers come in uh, because uh, uh, because John was rude to Sarah earlier, yeah. so a bunch of bouncers come in and they uh, they take him away. They 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 throw him out of the building. Yeah. Uh, then uh, 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 John gets in his car and drives off. Then we see Sarah getting home, and uh, as she's about to walk in her door, uh, John jumps out from behind a corner. <laughs> yeah, of course. And uh, as you do. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the only way to to greet someone who remembers you, but you don't remember them, lunging. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, he jumps out and like p- puts it puts his hand over her mouth and. And, like kicks open the door to her apartment and like and like takes her inside and like tells her you know bloody he, he says something it doesn't matter what he says <laughs> so she, she she eventually like stops screaming and the two of them kind of like start talking and then uh, Magnus uh, comes in with an axe of course he does and we get a pretty rough and tumble fight and the, 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 the scene is it's just John and Magnus throwing each other through various parts of his house. Yeah, uh, and getting uh, the... He yells, I, I want to ask you, ask you a question. <laughs> he does not, but he should have. Yeah. At a certain point, uh, Scott Atkins is thrown into a bathroom, and he, he puts his hand on on the like sink counter to, like, to try and get up, and Magnus comes in and... Just like swings the axe down and cuts off like four of Scott Aiken's fingers. And you know that viral video of lots of different things being cakes? Yeah. Yeah, it's like that. It but is with a hand. It and is an exactly axe. like that. And, and with blood. <laughs> it's not okay. And then they do the same thing to the plumber's the same thing to the plumber's foot. Yeah. And you you, you see his foot come off. You see you see like from his like toes up come yeah. off and it's uh it's real good. Yeah. I like it a lot. 
I mean, it, it's very wince-inducing, but yeah. that's what you want from yeah, this. Yeah, like, all, all of the violence in this movie is so deeply unpleasant. In a way that is an interesting, like, there's... It often avoids the pleasure of yes. violence, right? Yeah. This isn't like a John Wick movie where, like, what is enjoy- enjoyable about it is, like, the, like, the, the, like, gracefulness of the choreography and... Like seeing like like people in in like cool suits yeah. like do, doing doing stunts. Yeah. This is a bunch of like of like Eastern European MMA fighters just like just hurting each other in really gross ways. Yeah, and it's incredibly satisfying. Yeah. That's what you're looking for as an audience member. Yeah, yeah and that's what I like in a in an action movie. Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm right there with you. Yeah. I mean, I like both. Yes, I yes, want... no, no, I, yeah. But this is the first scene where I think, like, uh, I used to be terribly frightened of fight scenes in films because oh, yeah. I thought people were getting hurt. And my mum told me that they that it's just like a dance. It's just a dance. Um, I was very young. Uh, 31 years old. <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> was like five. And ever since then, looking at action scenes as, like, dance scenes, so this being, like, this weird kind of brutal tango, um, it it's like just seeing how they work together and yeah, it's great. Yeah. Scott Aikens at this point in his career, not a fantastic actor. The guy no. plays Magnus, not, not a great actor either, like mainly an MMA fighter, but the like fight chemistry they have. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a great fight. Uh, even if you don't want to watch this film, look up this fight and one other fight yes, that we'll get to. Yeah. And so uh, uh, after, after he cuts off Magnus's foot, uh, 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 John grabs Sarah, they, they run out and they, yeah. they, they drive off mm-hmm. and again, gets, Sort of murky at this yeah, they point. Yeah, they go, they go to a, a place. And we see a scene like inside Universal Soldier HQ where all of the freed uh, Universal Soldiers are like hanging out and drinking beer. And we see Magnus taking some bandages off of his foot. Yeah. And we see that his foot has grown back, but like uh, gross. Yeah. Like his, his foot looks uh, disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like he's got a real, he's got a, imagine you've got a foot. And then it stops being a foot and just starts being just like ham, like yeah. deli ham. It, like I, I, I can't even remember if if it has toes. I, I think it just might be like just solid ham. Yeah, and it's it's all like it's purple and bloody. And, and he then he puts on his yeah he puts his shoe on without just, a sock. No, he just he is he is raw dog and his regrown <laughs> his regrown foot into the shoe. It's horrifying. It is. It's like it's one of the most disgusting things in the movie. Ah, uh, yeah. It's a long list, but it yeah. is on it. Then one of the other soldiers comes up and like tries to grab the like bottle of alcohol on his table, and because like what happens when you put a bunch of like ex soldiers who are all like the gen- genetic, yeah, the most like genetically like designed to be like amazing fighters uh, and and like rage machines. Basically, like this, this guy, this guy steals a, a bottle of alcohol from from Magnus. Magnus punches him, and then a bunch of them just gather around and. Uh, just like stamp this guy to death. Yeah, it's very um, violent. Yeah, and the, I think that this is the first time we, we see Jean Claude Van Damme come in, not in like a um, vision or a flashback. And uh, he he comes in, he he breaks up the fight, and then he he shoots the dying Universal Soldier in the head. Yeah, uh, out of mercy, it yeah. seems. Around this point, there is also um, uh, there is also a uh, a scene where where Dolph Lundgren, who is wearing a beret that he definitely brought from home. Yeah, yeah, no, Dolph Lundgren. Oh, Always has a beret on him, you know. Yeah, he he is like giving a talk yeah. uh, to the other Unisols. At this point, we, we kind of like, really like they're sort of like cult 
built around uh, built around Jean-Claude Van Damme's like Luke Devereaux who, who is like their savior their redeemer the one who will free them from from oppression mm-hmm. and so he's giving this very kind of like this very like impassioned like r- like religious spe- speech yeah yeah, yeah. He, he, he's he's preaching the gospel of universal soldier yeah unisol I've worked out what my problem with the term unisol okay. is what it's is that it? universal is right there <laughs> but what if they weren't going for a pun what if that's not what's important to them? Then at least go for something good. Because Unisol, Unisol, Unisol sounds like uh, like foot itch powder. Yeah, maybe maybe that's what people want from Universal. So from genetically engineered killing yeah, well, machines. Yeah, like, we, 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 we know beret. we know this this movie involves like itchy feet. Oh yeah, that is true. We have just established that. Yeah. Um, so at, at this point, as um, uh, Sarah and John are they're, they're like hiding in, in in another motel. They they talk about the the last time. Oh, so it's it's real like Sarah. Uh, and John used to have uh, used to have a romantic relationship. Yeah, and uh, uh, which John does not remember. No, and the last time that she saw him, which was like about a year ago, he came to see her at the club, and then uh, after her shift, she she went outside and she like heard a fight. She saw John just like just like kill a man with his bare fist. Yeah, and like she tried to like shout to to stop him, and he he just seemed like he was in another world where the only thing that mattered to him was murdering this guy. Which kind of makes sense from his actions up until this yeah. point, and but then, he does not remember it. Yeah, and then he, he, he got in a car and drove off, and she hasn't seen him since, which is why she's like kind of scared of him now. Then I, I think we have the scene where uh, uh, where Jean-Claude Van Damme like reaches out of a mirror. Oh, yeah, then he goes into his... Yeah, it's like it's, it's Scott Atkins like, is continuing to have these, these kind of like flashes yeah. of... of uh, of, of Jean-Claude Van Damme in his head, like telling him to to free himself. And there's one point where he's standing in, he's standing in front of a mirror at a basin, like washing his face. And Jean-Claude Van Damme appears behind, uh, appears in the mirror. I mean, he appears in front of him because th- it's the mirror that seems to disappear. Yeah, look, this. So, like, it, it's a movie where, like, very, very clearly they, they built a set with like two with like a sink and then a sink on the other side and it looks like there's a mirror in the middle but it's actually just two sinks and uh, and and so Jean-Claude Van Damme like reaches through the mirror and like is grabbing his face and is trying is trying to like explain to him that he should be free and then he he has an, another flashback to his daughter dying mm-hmm. and Van Damme like just 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 totally snaps him out of it then he calls the uh, the evil corporate guy from earlier mm-hmm. and they have a conversation that neither of us paid attention to <laughs> yeah where they just they just talk about Luke Devereaux some more, yeah. uh, and then we have the final bit of like plot in the movie where um, uh, we found out that, that Scott Atkins used to be a truck driver, and there, right. there was yeah, and there was a shipment that he needed to take up the river, and so he goes down to the docks yeah. to find out what the shipment was, yeah. and he has to talk to the like mob boss who controls who like ship things up his river. Yeah, uh, and this guy is a Mad Max villain. Half of his face uh, is supposed to look scarred, but it looks like it's mutating into a Wirren pustule. Yeah, like yeah. His, his his face is made out of boils, essentially. Yeah. He, you know, nipple clamp guy from Fury Road. Yeah. It's literally just him. It's a crossover at yeah. this point. And so, uh, so John is talking to this guy. To, his name is Mr. Castellano. Yeah. Because he's Italian, because he's a mob boss. Yeah, of course. And so he's he's talking to Mr. Castellano. In, in the scene, we realize that like the the reason that Mr. Castellano's face is all fucked up, and I think he's also like wearing gloves because there's something wrong with his hands. No, well, so he can drive fast <laughs> to get back. <laughs> Immortan Joe's wives, yeah. and so we, we, um, so like in, in this scene, we, we realize like, 
oh, like the the reason this guy's all fucked up is because he got on the wrong side of John, yeah. and John uh like decided to destroy him. Uh, like this Castellano plays a video of Scott Adkins uh, murdering Isaac. We're like, oh. We didn't see him murder Isaac. What could what, this What's mean? happening here? Uh, we have in the old unreliable narrator trick, eh? Are you throwing that at us? Yeah, and then... So, then uh, <laughs> and then... It's, ellipsis. It's so... it's Again, like this movie a lot. Can, cannot remember in what order things happen. I, 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 I shmoo, shmoo, shmoo. Yeah, I, I, I think at that point, uh, uh, Sarah and John uh, drive up to a cabin that, that, that Sarah mentioned earlier as like the place that he lived which is totally different from the house that we see him in earlier, yeah. which is where he believes he lived. Uh, but in this uh, this cabin, uh, the walls are all covered in uh, weird drawings of a, of a woman. You can't quite make out her face. And sitting in a chair is, who's this? Scott Adkins. Is that another Scott Adkins? That's right. We are in that episode of The X-Files where the government is making psychic clones. Yeah. But also, there might just be one Scott Adkins because we never see them in the same shot together. No, there is one. There's one split screen shot. Oh uh, yeah, like yeah. Th- 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 this is a movie that cannot afford to like put yeah. put the same guy in the shot twice. Isn't it heartbreaking that the social network can afford that? Like a film about Mark Zuckerberg yeah. Zuckering a berg, whereas Scott Adkins can never fight himself. Yeah, like you 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 could like you could conceivably make the social network on a budget of like I don't know like thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, like that's. Well, it's like nothing against the movie, but like there's there's nothing that you actually need money for in that movie. I mean, apart, 30, from, apart from actors and like all the stuff that costs money to make a film. I mean, like thirty thousand dollars, you're not paying people a living wage, so let's no. just call it a million. Sure, you, yeah, you'd absolutely make social network for 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 a million dollars. Yeah, like, but do you know what's cooler than a million dollars, Finn? Uh, t- t- taking the the off <laughs> website names. <laughs> taking the no, Scott Scott Edkin. So there's another Scott. Adkins, yeah, um, uh, and and like the, this Scott Adkins is the one that Sarah knew, yeah, and um, and is the one who killed Isaac, and so he he was a Universal Soldier who who was sent to kill Luke Devereaux, and then he was freed and worked for for Devereaux for a while. He met Sarah and fell in love with her, yeah, and realized, oh yeah, like this other guy who is like making me kill people, uh, he's he's also bad, yeah. Both sides are wrong. And so he decided to quit working for Devereaux and just go and live in a cabin. And and, and, and the, the, the reason that he killed Isaac is because Isaac was working uh, with, with Devereaux in order to get equipment that can help that can help the Universal Soldiers like uh, make make more Universal Soldiers on their own. Which was what John's shipment was. Yes. Um, then, of course, uh, for some reason, one of the Scots has to die. The the new Scot, he's shot. Why? So I think he, he, he I think he like he I, just he gets shotgunned. He tries to kill Sarah. True, because uh, because of reasons. Yeah. Isn't it? We watched this film but hours ago at this point, and it's drifting from our minds we, like a dream. Like we totally skipped over the best fight scene in the movie. I know. I, we can come back. Yeah. Let okay. Pause there. So pl- fucking plot happens. Two Scots. That's cool. But one gets shotgun. Yeah. Rewind. So ju- just before they go to the docks. Yeah. Uh, we-, we have 
Uh, one of one of my favorite fight scenes of all time. Yeah, it's like, incredible. Yeah. Oh no, no. They've left the docks. They're about to drive to to the cabin. Yeah. Okay. Just going along. They're 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 nice. You know, clean uh, uh, black SUV. Yeah, and they not look... not a not a scratch on it. Yeah. Um, I especially love the glass in the back window. Yeah, I get I, very attached to I it. I like that all four of its wheels are functional. <laughs> Yeah, I'm, there's nothing I love more on a car than four functional <laughs> wheels. I'm a big fan of the. Uh, uh, I'm a big fan of the clean lines. I just, if there's one thing I hate, it's plumbers driving up with shotguns and shooting cars. Yeah, I don't like it in real I'm life. I'm glad it doesn't happen in this movie. Yeah, uh, then I fell into a coma for 15 minutes, and then when I woke up, you said there had been an amazing action scene. But just uh, yeah. fill me in on what happens. Well, so um, uh, they're just driving along, having having a grand old time. Yeah, grand. and then uh, they they out of nowhere they, they get t-boned by a CGI version of a, of a, of a plumber's truck. What? Yeah. But the clean lines. Ah, I, I cannot tell you how frustrated I was <laughs> at the loss of those lines. Um, and, and so then uh, there is a... Uh, so it's the plumber's van just operating on its own? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll tell you who's inside it. What? Who? The plumber. What? Yeah. How? Well, he... Uh, since his foot regenerated, he can drive again. Yeah, his foot regenerated into Colin Baker <laughs> for two seasons, and and so like then uh, there there was like a, a car chase like action sequence, which is not amazing. They're doing a lot with what they have. Yeah, no, that, I think this car chase looks amazing considering they shot it probably in a day on ten meters of road. Yeah, on a, two days on two different ten meter roads. Yeah, like regions. there are definitely cuts where where it's like the geography is very inconsistent. Yeah, and they're like sometimes they're on like an off ramp and sometimes they're 10 minutes away yeah. and then it cuts back to them on the off ramp like there's, there's there's issues with but like what is really good about this movie is like just like all the other fight scenes this is super physical yeah and like it is just a long segment of these cars just just smashing into each other yeah and it's like the the car chase and the born ultimatum yeah, and and it's so like they 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 just they're just crashing into each other, and the 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 plumber keeps trying to like trying to like uh, uh, shoot them with his shotgun. What? Yeah, yeah. Where does it? But that back plane of glass—that's oh, fine. I'll right? tell you what—that's that's the first to go. What? Yeah, he's it's always the sweetest. We lose the youngest. And Why? Eventually, he takes out one of the four functional tires, <laughs> leaving with leaving How? them with only three. I'm I'm sorry, and they put this on DVD and sold it to people. Yes, like they also put it on Blu-ray, which I bought one of. Why didn't the censors get a hold of this and realize that when you're putting such abhorrent events on screen, like no one gains from this, no one wants to see a car with three functioning wheels. In, unless it's one of those like funny cars that only has three wheels in the first place. No, I hate those. That's you, you why do? I refuse yeah. to let my children watch Mr. Bean. Oh, I thought you were going to say Top Gear. <laughs> I mean, that's for the, the main reason I don't let my children watch Top Gear is that I don't have children. Um, <laughs> but if you did, they'd be watching Top Gear from from noon to night. I just they're lads. I just love their casual racism and homophobia. It's you just know, boys they, being boys. Do you know who they remind me of? Me. I could really go... You know, all, all, all the things that like I think, they say. I think everything I like about Jeremy Clarkson are the same reasons that I voted for John Key as Prime Minister. 
You know, I, I just like that that they keep having my best friend Boris Johnson on as a guest. No, see, he's not... he's just a funny guy, and you know, may, maybe oh, he's got some he's got you know, he's got some funny beliefs. But you know, he's he's just sort of a harmless goof. See, here's the thing about Alexander Boris de Feifel Johnson, as I believe are some of his names. He just loves a laugh. He's and, and... he's just he's one of the lads. You know, yeah. he's he's a he's a classic class cut up. And if those gags come at the price of, you know... Everyone, uh, everyone who isn't exactly like him. Yeah. Or, you know, people who don't want to die of COVID, then like, I think it's worth it. I think it's better to have Bojo, a Woodhouse impression of a regular human, over Jeremy Corbyn, a righteous campaigner for the correct solutions yeah. to our troubling times. I don't... It's not at all monstrous that an entire nation looked at that choice and thought, I'm going to have, I'd like, uh, between Jeremy Corwin and an animate toffee, I would love to teabag that toffee. Well, I, that, 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 that's something that people don't like take into consideration often when they think about politics. Is like, a lot of people like other people getting hurt. Yeah, that's why John Hurt wrote that song. Hurt. No, jo- Johnny be good. Oh, it's about being it's about oh, being gosh. it's about being good in the face of <laughs> in the, in the face, face of people not wanting you to play guitar. <laughs> the, <laughs> the ultimate oppression. <laughs> I have just you, Do you know what my favorite thing about that song is? Well, it was written by a white guy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but now, okay, so I was obviously, as I said, in a coma during this action yeah. scene. After this car chase, I presume it just ends there. I presume it's fine. Well, so the sequence, after one of the good wheels is, is blown up, no. uh, there's a very good car flipping stunt. Oh. Yeah, where... Where it, like, puts up its hand and raises one finger. No, no, where, where, like, a big, like, metal box on wheels that goes vroom vroom. Oh, yeah. Uh, So a horseless carriage. Yeah. uh, Someone happens to it, gets crashed into, and it it gets thrown into the sky and flips end over end uh, down down a a deserted street in, uh, in, like, uh, Louisiana. Oh, wow. Yeah. That sounds pretty hot. Yeah, it's it's a good car crash. I mean, I yeah, like the best ca- best car crashes are in the film Crash, the one about race. To be clear, <laughs> which we're going to be watching in a few weeks. Oh, fuck, yeah, um, yeah uh, that's know. me talking to a crashing car, by the way. Um, I. <laughs> I, there, uh, 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 and so then they just stop. They just get out of the cars. They exchange insurance information. Go back to and, and they become days. best friends. Oh, awesome! Yeah, well, and then it just they just Colonel Blimp. Yeah. Well, so so after, after man, a version of this film where they just Colonel Blimp would be dope, though. Well, it'd, it'd be kind of difficult for them to for them to become best friends because of what happens next. Oh, what's that? Do they uh, get married? Well, so what happens is uh, they happen to be standing right outside of a sporting goods store. Oh man, I love well organized, orderly sporting goods stores with all everything intact. Who, you know, who doesn't? That's one of my top ten favorite things. And do you know what I love most about sporting goods stores? What's that? Intact bowling balls. <laughs> Please don't I'm... give away the best part of this scene. <laughs> so I'm not giving I'm not giving anything away. Okay, so... I don't know what happens in the scene. I was in a coma. <laughs> <laughs> so what 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 happens is I know for a fact that this scene is on YouTube. Yeah. And after after I describe it to you, I want you all to go and look at it. Um, unless we, we we cannot do it justice with mere words. Uh, though to be clear, if you don't l- like, it's a good action scene. If you don't like violence in film, yeah, which is 
totally justifiable. Un- understandable. Uh, do the opposite of watch this scene. Yeah. Like, go, 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 go and watch uh, Talking Heads Stop Making Sense. That's also on YouTube right now. Yeah. Uh, it's like 85 minutes long. It's uh, pure, pure joy from moment one to, yeah. to, to the end. Unless you hate on stage, like people rearranging like visible stage hands in the theater. What, 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 what happens next? Is, okay. Yeah. It, John and Sarah, they get out of their car. Great. They go, they go and stand uh, in front of a large uh, plate glass window. Oh, okay. Great. <laughs> and then Magnus, he gets out of his car. Yeah. And he, they admire the beautiful glass together. For, for a second, it seems like that might happen. Oh, and then, uh, uh, then Scott Atkins, uh, sorry, then, then Magnus uh, just just charges at John, mm-hmm. and uh, even though John tries to like brace, yeah. uh, Magnus still tackles him through the window into the sporting goods store. What an enthusiastic hug! Yeah, wow. they, they, and then they make they, they're, just, they're just so excited to get to the sports. Yeah, and just the intact bowling balls. <laughs> and <laughs> as, as soon as as soon as they are inside this building, yeah. all fucking hell breaks loose. You're not going to tell me they essentially sword fight with baseball bats. <laughs> That's like yeah. So we we we, we watched two movies in a row with a with a fencing scene. Yeah, this is how we justify uh, watching these two movies together. And uh, one actor playing multiple roles. Yes, and uh, yeah, and so like they they do every sort of uh, like they do every sort of violence you could want to see in a sporting goods store. Yeah, pr- pretty much. Like they, I feel like lacrosse stick to the face. Yeah. Like, 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 no, no, no movie is perfect. I feel like putting a shuttlecock in someone's mouth and then punching it closed, saying "badminton" would be. <laughs> they didn't do that. Um, well, uh, I, when you, when you in a coma? <laughs> no, I've recovered from the coma and watched it on YouTube. Okay, great. Um, yeah. So also, here's my other pitch for this scene: what? golf club right into someone, right hit someone like in the crotch so hard, uh, and, and then you say hole in one. <laughs> Yeah, so they, they they are just like they're tackling each other all over the store. They they they're, they're doing some 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 sweet ass like punchos. Yeah. They're like it's so it's just Scott Scott Aikens like does a jump kick off a wall into his face. It's it's so good. Yeah. It's and, just and, real good fighting. And at some point they they both pick up metal baseball bats and have a baseball bat duel which is incredible. I like, just it's the, insane to me that 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 I can't think of that having happened before. It seems so Oh, yeah, obvious. no, like, th- th- this is, like, this is such an innovative action scene, and they find so many new ways to hurt another human being. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. at one point, like, they're, like, on different parts of a room, and M- Magnus is standing right next to, like, a rack of bowling balls, and he picks up a bowling yeah. ball. And it's intact. And it's yes, intact. He like, fr- I love it. He throws it at Scott Adkins, and Scott Adkins is in, like, a, like a boxing stance, and he... He just punch, he like punches his arm out, and the bowling ball impacts his fist and shatters into a million pieces. Like he what? he punches a bowling ball into dust. What? Yeah. How? But I don't like that. <laughs> I only like them when they're intact. Then, this sounds a very unfriendly fight. Would you say that they're friends by the end of it? Uh, I I I I would say they've reached an understanding <laughs> by the end. Of it. Um, so at, like like, so like uh, after punching the bowling ball, as uh, uh, Scott Atkins picks up like a giant like weight and he throws it like a frisbee yeah. into Magnus's stomach. And I have to say, this sequence of events, like the rush of adrenaline through my body, watching this, I've not felt since like 
like seeing bullet time for the first time, <laughs> yeah. I guess. Yeah. Like it's like, whoa. And like, like the low budget really helps here because there's not like, obviously they're like, it's like a fucking foam bowling ball yeah. or something, but it, it's all physical and real. It's yeah. It, and almost it, all in the camera. Yeah. Like when, when he punches a bowling ball, even though you know a human cannot <laughs> punch a bowling ball into dust, you're like, oh shit, he just punched a bowling ball into dust. Yeah. And then throw, yeah. And it's all, oh, and then like, Magnus has his baseball bat again, yeah. and he's going for Scott Aikens. Scott Aikens throws down his bat and like go, goes in for some like kind of like, close quarters, like yeah. like kind of judo stuff. Trying to use his uh, own bat against yeah. him, yeah, and ends up like like breaking uh, break, breaks one of Magnus's arms in a very like horrific break, and then breaks his leg. Yeah, he like I think he like stomps his leg in. And this is the point where it does seem like the end of this fight is just going to be him methodically breaking every <laughs> bone in his body. Yeah, and, and then Scott Aiken says, "No, I don't have enough time for that." Yeah. This movie is already almost two hours long. So he goes over, and like while Magnus is like on his knees, trying to get up, but he can't because he's got a broken leg, Scott Atkins walks over, gets the middle baseball bat, walks back, and uh, hits the top of his head <laughs> off. Like, he, he is, like... A f- from, from like the like his his top jaw up is yeah. just removed. <laughs> yeah, it's and I just want everyone to know there is a gigantic smile on my face while I'm describing <laughs> yeah. this. It's it's just a, it's a real good killing. Yeah, um, the the scene makes me unimaginably happy. Um, and then and then they go find the other Scott. Yeah, and then they go to investigate, and then they get on the boat to go up the river. Well, also uh, uh, after after the meeting with, with the other uh, John, regular John gives Sarah his car yeah. and she drives off out of the movie yeah. uh, because she... Lighting she, another cigarette. We haven't mentioned that she's smoking every time we see yeah. her, um, especially when she gets a couple of goes at standing in the middle of the room staring at the wall. Now that like, the man that she actually loved is dead yeah. and the man left standing is this like clone of her former boyfriend who yeah. like doesn't even really know her. She is like, yeah, fuck this. And she she gets in the car. She drives off. Yeah. Um. And so then, like, uh, oh, not not before uh, she uh, digs a knife into the back of Scott Adkins' neck to help pull out a, a, a tracking chip. <laughs> what am I looking for? You'll know when you find it. And it's just this picture of like she just pulls the spine out of his neck. Yeah. Like he he is not giving her enough directions <laughs> yeah. for sticking a knife into for the back someone, of his neck. In like in a situation seem seemingly designed for paralysis. <laughs> but anyway, he gets on a boat. He goes up the river. He meets some universe. Yeah, and it, like it, it seems like at, at this point, it seems like at, at this point he's like going to like meet with them to like figure out what's going on because he 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 knows weird stuff is happening, but he doesn't fully understand. And these yeah. are the people who can explain it to him. Uh, and they explain it to him. Yeah. That uh, his... So he, he, he meets a, a kind, like, doctor guy. Yeah. And the doctor explains to him, you are essentially a newborn. Yeah. You, you... You're five weeks old, they say? Yeah. You are, like, a, a soldier who was, like, made in a government lab, and you were made specifically for the purpose of, of killing Luke Devereaux. Yeah. Uh, and your memories are implanted. That's right. He was bloodshotted. Yeah. Um, but like seven years before bloodshot. I know, but bloodshot is still a good verb that we should use more. Um, but we, we, we we should say that, that bloodshot was unisol door. To... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, almost precisely, you're right. Um, uh, uh, it's... Of course, there's one easy way to get rid of the memories, trepanning. Yeah. So they get an industrial press drill. A giant horrifying drill. And like Scott Atkins is like strapped down onto a table. Yeah. And drill into his head. Yeah. To get the memories you, out. You, you, see, you see a drill just go into his head and there's a lot of blood coming out of a hole yeah. in his skull. 
Uh, and uh, so he's having all these memories, and he decides that while they're chucking, uh, that while they, he doesn't want his memories taken away. It's no, a he, real eternal sunshine moment. Yeah, he he, he decides that like these these memories that like he now knows are not real yeah. are more important than than like what whatever like freedom is promised to him by the by by the universal soldiers. And, uh, and then he just kills everyone yeah, there. He's he's so mad that he he breaks free of his restraints. Uh, beats a dude to death with a hammer, <laughs> and then uh, walks through the tunnels of their like underground, like bayou, like uh, headquarters. Whatever it is, yeah. yeah. And he, yeah, there is a very long action scene which may, which is like kind of made to seem like it's done yeah. in one take. It's a real atomic blonde. Yeah, and but again, like five years before atomic blonde. Okay, and, and yeah, and he 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 fights a lot of uh, very big dudes. Yeah. And you know they, they they do all sorts of different fighting. There's there's you know there's pistols. There's yeah. an AK-47 at one point. There's lots of like hand to hand stuff. He he just beats a dude head dude head yeah. at one point. He kills someone with a grenade. Yeah. it's good. Uh, and, and then we leave the single take, and you know we're leaving the single take because uh, Dolph Lundgren, Dolph Lundgren's use of a stunt double is on the scene. We know it's him because he's wearing his beret, which you can see has stitched into it for Dolph from Mum. <laughs> Sorry, yeah, and mom. So, and so the two of them have a fight in a room uh, filled with weapons. Yep. And this is like this is interesting. Where's this film going to go? Because like Dolph is, he's above the title. Yeah. You know, he's the second build, and this like, is just uh, some upstart coming in. So I've got the, I've got the, the, the Blu-ray here. Yeah. Like on, on the Blu-ray, the like. Re- really big, you see. You see uh, Jean Claude Van Damme's face. Yeah. Right behind him, also really big, you see Dolph Lundgren's face. Yeah. And then, kind of like d- down the bottom, much smaller, mm. you, you see you see Scott Atkins, who's not even looking at the camera. He's yeah. like he's facing away. You could easily think that that was one of the two men above him. Yeah. He, he, like Scott Atkins' name is below the title. Like it, it looks like he's the bad guy that they're going to fight. Yeah. Uh, but turns out they're the bad guy because Dolph. Well, uh, he while he makes much fuss for fighting, he doesn't make much shit because he gets a machete through the hell. Through yeah, the so head. for like a minute or so, they're like fighting with guns. Yeah. And then they're both like, no, this is boring. And uh, do you know how we know it gets serious? Dolph, take off that damn beret. That's that, how you know shit's got yeah, like, real. That, that, we realize, oh, that, that's, that's his preaching beret. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Uh, yeah, so like Dolph comes at him with a machete, and there's a great part where like he, he he swings a machete at John, and he misses, and it gets embedded in, a, in like a concrete pillar. Yeah, because these guys are so strong. How strong are they? They can embed a machete in a concrete pillar. Oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, and then like um, uh, 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 John gets thrown into a wall of knives, and then he picks up two knives and have a knife and machete fight. And he like stabs Dolph Lundgren in the foot a bunch of times, and then like stabs him in the back, and then stabs him in the chest, and then I, I think he 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 breaks his his arm as well, right? Yeah, yeah, and then yeah, and then he 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 sta- he stabs Dolph Lundgren through the head with a machete like the end of Hot Fuzz. Yeah, <laughs> um, but but like fatally. Yeah, like imagine that, but worse. Yeah, uh, imagine ima- the version of that scene Edgar Wright wanted to make <laughs> but couldn't. Um, yeah, imagine if it wasn't in Timothy Dalton's contract. You can't kill me. I was James Bond once. Uh, yeah. So then, uh, uh, after uh, then, uh, the same scene again, but with Jean Claude Van Damme. Yeah, b- basically, except yeah. like Jean Claude Van Damme has like a bunch of weird face paint on. Yeah, he... but the like top, the bottom half of his face is painted black. Yeah, the top half of his face is uh, painted white. Yeah, and then uh, uh, pretty soon he... that doesn't matter because it's just all blood. Yeah. <laughs> 
And yeah, no, it's at this point where it's like, oh no, this is a really fucking Metal Gear Solid because he just looks like a Metal Gear Solid boss at yeah. this point. It should be said, like, from from like the, the, the point where he breaks out of the restraints onwards, yeah. uh, Scott Atkins is not a human anymore. <laughs> no. he, he, he's Nicolas Cage at the end of Mandy, where he's he is just fully like an animal made of murder. No, he's Terry Notary in the square <laughs> and pretending to be a chimp terrorizing people. Like, he's, he's just soaked head to toe in blood. <laughs> yeah. And there, like there, there is still like blood coming out of the hole <laughs> in his skull, like, and he, he he doesn't say another word for the movie. He just oh well like, okay, uh, for, for the rest of his action, yep. he does not say a word. Just he only speaks in like grunts and screams. <laughs> he is it's great, but yeah. But he all like but he won't like he killed Dolph, but you can kill Dolph. You can't call John Claude Van What? He kills Jean Claude Van Damme, the star of the Universal Soldier series. And this is the point where you're like, Oh, and they're setting this up so that he can take over. It's a real passing the torch moment. Yeah. Um but then they, you know, eight eight years later, where's the follow up? No, they they've not made any more, which uh, I am uh, uh, upset about. Yeah, no, you should change it. You should uh, work sh- on it. You I should be a universal adapter. So I think like since, since this movie came out, um, uh, uh, John Himes has made one more movie, yeah. uh, which is uh, uh, which is a uh, apparently it's a dark comedy about a children's baseball league. <laughs> okay, yeah, he, he he was supposed to be directing uh, uh, the the remake of Maniac Cop, but Nicholas <laughs> One and Griffin was producing. Yeah, but now I think Griffin's just directing that. Oh, okay, which is sad because I want to see John Himes do more stuff. I want to see John Himes produced by Nicholas Winding yeah. as Griffin. Yeah. That'd be uh, real crazy. It'd be a real... Like, you thought that demon was neon before? You can really tell, like, throughout this movie, like, this guy has seen some Riffin. Yeah. What What if What if Riffin was grimy <laughs> yeah. instead of neon? And, like, slightly less intellectual. Hmm. Okay, so there is... Uh, th- we That all happens. Then there is a, a, a scene where he meets up with the corporate guy. The corporate guy is like, yeah, we designed you to take out those guys. You did the job. Thanks. We're going to wipe your memories. So um, he's like... But you killed my wife by giving me my wife who doesn't exist. And so he kills him and has replace, replaces the corporate guy. So anyway, that's the film. With, 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 with a clone of the corporate guy. With the a corporate... clone of the co- a universal soldier yeah. clone. Anyway, that's the plot of the film. So now explain to me why it is an intellectual film. Okay, I, 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 I don't think it's necessarily an intellectual film. But I, yeah, I, especially I, compared to, you know, Drive. I mean, I don't know if there's like a whole lot of difference between like how yeah. this film says what it does and how like the Neon Demon says what it does. I think, like, what this movie has to say about like war and free will is about, is like on the same level as what... Riffin is saying about like the fashion industry of a neon demon. That is, that's absolutely true. But also the way, like neon demons aesthetics are more, I can trust that the neon demon is commenting on representations of women when it reproduces them. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm so you're calling it sound on the, on that question. Uh, absolutely. Yes. I, I'm, I am once again, I'm going to, in my new third category, I think it is both shy and sound. Yeah. I, and I, that, I, I do not begrudge you that, but it, it like, it's also, if you like fighting films, if you like, this is, it's good. And yeah. it, and it, and, and as much, 
like maybe skip through dialogue scenes it could be a tight 80 minutes this film only losing like just scenes of people just walking into and out of rooms yeah like if if, if you like if, if you like read like a, a plot summary of this yeah. movie and being and being watch it without the dialogue scenes you've, you've got it basically um but yeah and it, it's kind of said he's not made more films because there are like there like we talked about uh in the first scene with the pov you see him blinking and that's used to hide cuts yeah um and and like the way the strobing works and the way he stages action in a way that's both coherent and also quite clearly quick to film. Yeah. Um, like, shows like, the kind of resourcefulness that like if this guy had what kind of film would this guy made if he was given a bloodshot budget yeah, you know yeah if, if he had like if he had like a really big budget and he had like the time to like work on scripts more or someone else wrote the script yeah if he was working from like a Nicholas Winding Refn script yeah I, I, I or think, my script for Stitch and Bitch yes the, 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 the all, all female Fight Club reboot <laughs> yeah with Melissa McCarthy and Blake Lively yeah it's great it's classic yeah. it's classic bit um, I, I've just been thinking a lot about that <laughs> film and I think it's a really like the idea of like a book club that gets out of hand and turns into a fight club okay but here's my pitch what if that that movie yeah but instead of Blake Lively and Melissa McCarthy it starred yeah. the stars of book club <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the film already definitely has a bit where, like, Betty White kicks down a door with an Uzi, you know, and is like, sup, fuckers, you know, never Betty on Betty. <laughs> oh, is, I, she, is she playing herself? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet, like, Neil Patrick Harris and Harold and Kuma, she says, always Betty on White, <laughs> and then just, like, shoves her fist down Emma Stone's throat and pulls out her heart. <laughs> okay, um, here's, here's the thing. If you guys want to see a movie where Scott Adkins uh, uh, puts his hand inside a person and pulls out one of her organs, uh, there, there is a movie called Savage Dog. Uh, oh my god! Which uh, which co-stars Keith David? Oh right, yeah, good, yeah. It, oh, no. it, it takes place in Vietnam in the fifties. Of course, it's a weird. It's it's not it's not the best Scott Aikens movie, but it does have some crazy stuff happen in it. I mean, okay. Uh, Finn has just described it to me, and I don't think anyone. If you thought it's I should on watch, Netflix, I should guys, watch a film called Netflix. Savage Dog that's on Netflix. Could I suggest you watch anything else on Netflix? Even <laughs> Keith David. Even the Spy Kids animated series is terrible. Um, okay, so here, uh, the only problem we face by you just putting in a film that you like yeah. is there's not really much to compare between these two. What? Okay. There's a skepticism on the War Machine. Yes, uh, I, I think both, both of these movies, like, yeah, is like a, a skeptical of the War Machine and have like ideas about like what it means to to be a soldier. Yeah, I, I think th- th- this movie is much more cynical about uh, uh, about like warfare than than, than Colonel Blimp. Well, yeah, the, the uh, Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning is the rare film that hates all of its characters that I'm okay with. Like normally, the first thing to get me to dislike a film is when the film is just judging when it's just like, hey, come look at this bunch of dicks. But it like in this situation, it's kind of the only morally acceptable way to make an exploitation film. Yeah. Um, and the fact that doing that actually manages to be like, oh no, everyone involved in this process is terrible. It's like a legitimate reading, you know. Yeah, and yeah, so I I I I really like all of that all of that stuff about uh, yeah. uh, about the movie and. It's it's trying it's trying to say stuff about about like free will, which I I, I don't know is super successful, 
But it definitely has the, the idea of. I think. Yeah. I think. I think one more draft of the script by another. I think a polish of the script, and like two million more dollars, and this film could be Drive. Yeah. It could be like this singular aesthetic piece of violence that is also saying like a weird, complicated thing. Yeah. No, I, 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 I totally agree with all of that. I still uh, Drive is better though. Oh yeah. Um, no, absolutely. No, uh, I, I thought you'd. I thought you'd step up to that. But Okay. Oh no! Like I like Dr- Drive is also a movie that I love a lot. Yeah. Um. So what are we watching next week? Uh. So uh. uh next next week we uh, uh we are watching uh an even longer film than Life of Jeff Kinnell. Jesus Limp. Christ. Uh. We we uh, we are watching uh, uh we are watching the Edward Young film Yi Yi. Uh, uh. Which is a Taiwanese film from uh from the early two thousands. Uh, I, I've, I've not seen Yee Yee before. Yeah. I've, I've heard uh, very good things about it. Yeah. And uh, uh, I don't know what we're pairing it with yet. Great. So uh, where can people find you, Phineas? Uh, um, it, that's only funny because his name isn't Phineas. I'm just aware that I've said it so many times people might think it's true. Yeah. P- people ask me, hey, is, is Finn short for Phineas? Or is it short for like... You know, Finbath. Or like Finnegan? Like, no, it's, it's just Finn. No, it's, it's short for Finished. <laughs> Sometimes James Colden calls me Finny. I'm like, hey, no, it's just Finn. No, Come no. on, James. Finland. <laughs> Find me on Twitter at Fickless. F-I-C-K-L-E-A-S, I think. You should know that awful, awful name, bad yeah. spelling. You can find me on all the so- social media platforms at just you know, like facebook.com slash youth lives, U T H R L I V E S. Yeah, and if if you want to say anything to to us as a collective, you you can you can tweet at shite sound pod. Yeah, S H I T E S O U N D P O D. Yeah. Um, no, no time for bad segments this week because uh, we have been recording for over three hours. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> yeah, um, our theme song is The Nux by Kazam Blam. Check out their album Trapezoids Away. I love it very much. Uh, and now just for our famous finishing catchphrase. Uh, you, you say catchphrase? I thought you'd, I thought you'd miss it. Yeah, no. I thought, okay. I, so it's my turn. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Thank you for listening. What films? Films? Love them. Lo- uh, <laughs> I de- love films, date films, meet films, watch films, good films. Good- goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>。suit he's never superman in smallville except for the very final have you seen finn have you looked up on youtube um a video it's a guy it's like a big big guy in the smallville fan community um and he's doing live reactions uh, I've, I've, to- I've never seen anything smallville related <laughs> uh, okay um but the final that the end of the last episode of smallville is uh like you know season nine is him finally becoming superman he rips open the shirt it's there and he flies off right and this guy is recording um a live audio commentary as it goes out and just listening to this man being like he's gonna do it he's gonna do it he's doing it Ah!" and but he's at that level of excitement for oh like 15 minutes (laughs) it's relentless you can hear him getting tired of how excited he is 